0: is the 200 level episode 91 it's monday morning june 1st may is over what a month and it would be kind of silly to come on here and pretend this is going to be a full-on sports podcast which we get plenty of that trust me we got trevor and harry coming up for a segment of levity talking illini football but we recorded that on sunday afternoon we figured okay let's just talk sports let's get into it and when you're in the daytime during a stretch of news like this The daytime sometimes seems to alleviate the tension in the air. Little did we know, and you're going to hear it yourself if you listen to the end of this podcast, Trevor was looking at his phone about 2 o'clock yesterday, and he stops us kind of mid-conversation and says, apparently there's going to be a riot at Target at 2 o'clock. And I laugh it off. Now, that didn't happen exactly, right? There wasn't a riot in Champaign. There was looting. There were protests, peaceful, m- many of them peaceful, but unfortunately there were looters all the way from Marketplace Mall to Target, and then they eventually made their way to Campus Town and a few stores over there, including the Piccadilly on First and Healy, and then Fix It, which I think is a phone shop over there. So yeah, there was looting right here in this town where I've grown up for 33 years in Urbana and then Champaign. Never, I don't think at least in my lifetime, has there been a curfew in Champagne, urbana So that's the first, you get to check that one off. But it was a really odd bit of tension in the air last night, not just here in Champaign-Urbana, but I think nationwide, to the point where when Jeff Passan had a tweet, or I think it was Joel Sherman, one of the two, had a tweet about the Major League Baseball Players Union, they sent their counterproposal over to the owner's. And how Austin had tweeted out, Austin Berkland, that, all right, guys, you know, now's not really the time for this. And I said, yeah, they aren't really reading the room. Now, Jeremy Warner made a good point that, listen, they got to do their jobs, They're reporters. This is a big story nonetheless. But it really does feel, sports I mean, secondary at this point. So while, yes, we get into well over an hour of sports conversation with Trevor and Harry, and if you want to skip forward to that, you can do that. But I would encourage you to stick around for just a bit because we have Isaac Trotter, formerly of Alani Inquirer, now riding up in Minneapolis, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. He's been covering what's been going on up there, and he's been on the ground. He's seen it. Uh, and I thought it was important to get him on, wanted to check in on someone that is was such an excellent media figure down here while he was here and has such a bright future ahead of him. And little did he know as he goes up there to be a sports reporter that he's going to be thrust into covering... History, essentially. And yeah, you know, you could cover the Timberwolves winning an NBA Finals. That would be a bit of sports history. But this is living through real-life history that we're all experiencing right now. That for me growing up, it was very much 1968. You would hear that in history classes as the most tumultuous year in modern American history. I think we can safely say 2020 is the most tumultuous year in any of our lifetimes. And it's amazing how quickly these things sort of become the new reality where the protest, along with the unsavory aspects of protests like looting and rioting, that's becoming normalized within these last 72 hours or so, along with the pandemic, which has kind of taken the back burner, even though it's still going on, and certainly these protests and these mass gatherings, that's not going to help things. It's going to inflame these cases, and especially metropolitan areas. So these stories are going to continue. This is going to be potentially a very long week. Last night, Kara and I were on the couch and thinking, okay, well, what do we watch? And I was wanting to watch the OJ made in America documentary again. Cause I think it, especially the second and third episodes of that four part series really get to the kind of racial social tensions going on in Los Angeles in the nineties and how that was a long festering issue that culminated in the riots instead, because I didn't have the ESPN app needed. We watched LA 92, which is a documentary. It's about hundred minutes long, a little short of two hours with archival footage from the riots in 1992 and it was gosh this is the tricky thing about it right it's scary to me it's almost like a severe weather warning where when you're in the safety of your home and you feel like you're far enough away from it there's something exciting about all this news but then you get to the reality of it and how these are real lives being negatively impacted by one man's actions I kept going back to that, this sort of butterfly effect of this one cop in Minneapolis doing what he did, killing someone in broad daylight, and how that action has led to all these other actions. Certainly, some of these actions, one would argue, are not even directly related to what he did. I understand that argument. But at the end of the day, these things don't happen, at least now, without that match being lit. So it is an odd position to sit down here well over two months after I would have come down here at the start of the stay-at-home order. And I think the episode was called Uncharted Territory, something like that. You know, just one of those buzzwords about how, well, we've never been through this before. This is going to be interesting. Well, we've never been through this before either, meaning we already had a major issue going on. And now we have issues compounding that issue, one on top of the other. And it becomes exhausting, right? And that's easy for me to say. There was something that really hit me yesterday, and I've been thinking about for a week now, which said silence is complicity. I saw that before. Silence is complicity. Meaning if you don't speak up, essentially you are condoning the actions of that cop in Minneapolis or police brutality in general. And I'm not 100% sure where I sit on that, but it did resonate with me as a teacher in Champaign because we have a very diverse community. And if you were to break it down like pie chart, essentially a third white, a third black, a third of you know, Hispanic, Asian, mixed ethnicity. So as a teacher of black and brown kids, it struck me that I needed to say something. I wanted to say something. And I had a Facebook post yesterday because a lot of teacher friends and just the friends and family that I have on there, I felt that it was important as an educator to let people know that I am aware of what's going on. I think it's wrong, the amount of police brutality that has existed before and how the black and brown community is targeted and that I can't in good conscience go in front of a classroom if we were in class right now. (laughs) That's the other thing. If we were in a classroom right now, I could not in good conscience stand up there and not speak on it and let my classmates or let my students know, excuse me, that I have their back and that I hear them and at least if I cannot fully understand what they're going through, I'm going to try. I'm going to empathize as much as I can, and then furthermore, I'm going to act. So how do we act? How do we do something to make this situation better? I think we would all agree that we don't want continuing riots and looting. You know, there is a social argument to be made that those things inspire change, but those will fizzle. I know those are getting the top of the headline news, but those things will fizzle. The question is, will the protests continue and will action and change come to be? I hope so. But it does take people outside of the black community to speak on it and to see coaches make statements. John Gross had one yesterday that was very powerful and very direct. And as the coach of Akron, which is a very diverse community in Ohio, it was important for him to do so. Brad Underwood had a tweet last night basically voicing his support of his black players And you will see more coaches do this, and some of them will use euphemistic language, some of them will kind of tiptoe around it and be sure to be careful about what they say. And I understand that to an extent because there are a lot of gray areas in this. This is not, for lack of a better phrase, a black or white thing. There are many layers to this onion that we got to peel and figure out, well, why does this thing stink? Right? Why is this thing rotting at the core? But it will be interesting to see especially coaches of student-athletes, Harry's favorite term, how vocal they are about this, because the majority in football and men's basketball, the revenue sports, right, the majority of athletes in those sports are black. They are the ones that are making a ton of money for this huge institution in the NCAA, and they sure get their education, that's great, no denying that, but they don't see any financial rewards on top of that. So this social issue that has been brewing for 450 years, however long it was ago that we brought slaves over to this country in the first place, to now, the inequities, the inequality, we're sitting here and still seeing examples of that in broad daylight, whether it be something as violent as what we saw in Minneapolis or whether it be something a little more subtle, though I would argue still kind of transparent with the NCAA and the way that they treat their student athletes that make them that much money. So in the next few days, we'll see more and more coaches speak on it, but hopefully just more people in general. Because if this is to be a movement towards positive change, it does require more than the black community to speak on it. And however you want to make your voice heard, it could be as simple as a tweet. It could be as simple as a Facebook post. I know that seems a little bit superficial, but it at least lets people know what side you're on. And that is not to say that you need to draw a hard line in the sand on anything. I think it's more just, are you listening, and are you able to consider other people's perspectives? If you're able to do that, then the conversation begins. But as part of this conversation, I wanted to bring on Isaac Trotter. And Isaac, like I said, from Alana Inquirer, his days there and on the Jeremy Warner show, became very quickly a, a media figure that you could trust in this town. And I know that was sports, but there is something journalistically that you can tell I can trust this guy, or I can trust that guy. Well, Isaac's one that you can trust. So here he makes that move to Minneapolis to cover sports, and then is thrust into history. Isaac Trowder, post-bulletin sports reporter, but not necessarily reporting on sports right now. So Isaac, let's go back a week, and that's all it's been. It's felt like far longer than that, but what is the timeline here? When does this video come out, and when did you first get the idea that this was going to dominate, at, at first, the news cycle up in Minneapolis-St. Paul area.
1: Yeah, it came out on Monday, and I think the whole world kind of just stopped and looked at it and goes, what in the world is going on here? And then, I, you know, I'm down in Illinois at this point when this was happening. I was back for uh, the graduation weekend that was there, and then my brother's birthday was over Memorial Day weekend, so I was just with my family, and when I, when I saw what's going on, I'm like, holy Crap. Like, this is this is crazy. And you start to see the coverage of it start to wind up. And, you know, I'm coming back to Minnesota, and it's getting worse and worse. And I felt like I was on Twitter all the time, just and it wouldn't get better. It was only getting worse. And when it took them a few days to, you know, finally make the call to charge the officer, that's when I started to realize, I was like, this is going to get really bad in a hurry. And so then... And then I get up here and, you know, I'm talking to my editors. I'm like, we need to be there again. And it had been, you know, two or three days of rioting up there. And so then they sent, they had sent a photographer up there two days before that. And I go up on Saturday and it was just, it was surreal, man. And like when you just, when you start to see that, you know, it's been six days of this stuff and people are still very much involved, very much locked in. I think that's when I started to realize this isn't just a, Minneapolis thing, this is going to you know, affect our entire country and it could spread to the entire world because they are not slowing down anytime soon and I don't blame them one bit.
0: Yeah, this was something that when I saw the video in, in full and we all saw the clips earlier last week and I think in some sort of kind of like self-protective way, I didn't want to watch the whole thing. I knew it would be bad, but it's the length of it and the the gradual loss of life it was gradual and it made it almost more difficult to watch so for you you get up to minneapolis st paul area and you live in rochester correct or at least the newspaper right yeah. and did you learn within the last week in the midst of all this was there any sort of historical context for that community in terms of race relations was there anything that you've been able to pick up with that or i mean i'm, I'm sitting here in champaign urbana thinking before this breaks that hey it's Minnesota. You know, I'm falling into the cliches of, oh, everyone's friendly. It's such a, a beautiful state. And then you see that these tensions really exist anywhere.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that i picked up is that this has been festering for a while. And it wasn't something that just kind of happened and boom. It was a, a slow burn after a while. And you know, a lot of people have accused the Minneapolis Police Department of being racist for a long time, starting with the top had at the very top and they've had a lot of these different issues and then this was almost the culminating point and it felt like a whole community said you know no I'm done with this and I I do think part of it comes into the play where you know the coronavirus still exists as much as we try not to or as much as it feels like it doesn't right now and there's so many more important things right now so a lot of people who are dealing with this in some form or the other we have a lot of people that are unemployed right now throughout the Twin Cities, and then this happens, and it felt like a, a culmination point, and all of the sparks were right there, and all it needed was a match, and that match was a big match, and that blew this thing up and made it, you know, really big. And the thing that I'm going up there and seeing is like, this is, you know, one, you know, one protester yesterday who was kind of leading some of the charge was like, this has been happening for so much longer. We just now can see it. And, you know, I, I haven't been here that long. I only moved up to Minnesota in January. You know, my family's from Minnesota, but I didn't really know that. And so just to see the, the pain and see the hurt, it made it more real that, to show that it wasn't just a one-time thing. This isn't just about George Floyd. It felt a lot bigger than just a, a one-man show.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where with this coupled with the Ahmad Arbery and the Brianna Taylor from Louisville situation, all within the span of about a month, you can see that in, in just the case of the last month, there's enough to ignite that powder keg. But this, of course, goes back far longer than that. As you've been on the ground and speaking to people, it's tricky because we see images of looting and rioting that's going on. Uh, we see images of peaceful protesting. Not asking you to maybe put a number on it, but what is the general vibe you get uh, in the middle of these protests in terms of the percentage of people that are um, channeling that anger into, let's call it, I guess, productive, peaceful protesting, and then the number of people that are maybe there to incite in some sort of way?
1: Yeah. I mean, this number's just kind of popping out of my head, but I I think it's 90% are there for the right reasons. Honestly, like I saw so many people cleaning. I saw so many people handing out free food, water, you know, anything that you might need, they were there to help you. It didn't matter what color they were. There's a huge uh, amount of people up here that are trying to help. And then there's the few that aren't trying to help. And I think that you know, the 10% can dominate, you know, the news cycle or dominate what you see, and makes it all really bad. But I don't think that should invalidate the other 90% that that are genuinely there for the right reasons. And it, it felt like I was seeing the pendulum swing between, you know, the absolute best of humanity, where those people are coming out, and they could have easily stayed at home, they could have easily, you know, just watched on TV, they're coming out, they're bringing their own brushes, they're bringing their own um, so, And they're bringing their own uh, sponges. They're bringing their own uh, shovels to clean up this place. They're spending hours there all day long cleaning up their city when they could have easily sat at home and said, no, that's someone else's responsibility. But then up the other side, you see almost like the worst of humanity sometimes too, where these people, are, you know, there's some that have come out of state. They're, you know, yesterday they had a situation. You know, the, the police officer pulls over a guy, with an unmarked car, he doesn't have a license plate on. And you know, before the, the police officer can even get up to the car, the guy jumps out of his car, throws gas on his own car to try to light it on fire because there were explosives in it. And it's just like, what is going on? And so I, I really genuinely hope that the 10% doesn't cloud over the 90%, but it's kind of happening. And I, and I totally get it. I totally see why you know, you'd focus on that. But there's also a lot of people up here who are genuinely trying to do the right thing and you know that really stood out to me when i was there on the ground and seeing it
0: being on the ground you wrote a story that covered essentially a day almost in timeline format and there's some really cool little kind of vignettes within that story and from a journalist perspective i'm assuming that as you get out there you're trying to find the human stories which You know, certain cases it's easier to do. And in cases of anger, like we see with uh, this situation, I know that I would be a little bit more, uh, not reluctant, but a little more like, oh gosh, I don't want to talk to the wrong person who might be super pissed off. And then maybe they don't like the media or something. So before you set foot out there to cover this, do you have to do some sort of mental preparation in order to say, all right, well, listen, I've been covering sports my whole life. That's what I signed up for. And yet you're kind of being thrust into this.
1: Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I think with sports, I felt like I had a good background on what to handle. And, you know, I mean, you know, you're around so many different people with sports. So like, you, I feel like you know, I was used to talking to, you know, a bunch of different people, and it didn't matter. But you're right, like, that day, I was heading up, I got up really early, and I couldn't sleep the night before, because I knew I was going up. And I was just really nervous about the whole plan and how we were going to you know how i was going to go through this day and i have like a 90 minute drive up to minneapolis and you know the roads were pretty clear in the morning and that's where i could kind of start to formulate my idea and how i wanted to do things and you know i think the biggest thing that i wanted to do is i wanted to put myself where the action was i wanted to go where the people were i didn't want to just hang out in this different spot and you know i talked to some people and you know one example that i didn't even get a right about there was this man who had his entire business burned to the ground, his restaurant, except it wasn't just his business. It was also his home. He had a little apartment above it that he was staying in and he had zero insurance and he was about 73 years old. And he talks about like the brutalness of losing your home and losing your business and so he has no income coming in and he has no insurance and he's literally walking around the streets with a you know a a blanket and a pillow under his arm and clothes on his back and that's all he has and i couldn't write that because after he said he didn't want it in the story and he didn't want to talk about it publicly Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's just so sad and like i just like i could not I could not imagine that this was real life. It didn't feel real. Like going up there, it felt like a movie, like something you see on a war zone. And that's really, it was just, it was just really surreal. And you're, you're right. I wanted to talk to the right people. I thought I was able to talk to some of the right people, but I, again, like, I feel like I need to go back cause I didn't really tell the full story. Or I felt, I always felt like there was something missing because there's just so much, there's so much there. And I, I don't know if it's going to slow down anytime soon, unfortunately.
0: They ask journalists, you know, all the way back in journalism school objectivity, objectivity. I imagine it'd be difficult. On one hand, you can objectively report what someone says, on the other hand, you're going to subjectively feel what they feel. And in the case of that story of the restaurant owner, um, I feel like it would be hard for me to divorce those emotions from the actual writing process. And I know that didn't go into the story because he didn't want it to. Um, but in that story, was there any uh, part of it that as you were writing it, you felt especially strong um, recalling the interaction you had with that person?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the restaurant one was really the best. And the other one too, was a kid who was just my age, who was from the university of Minneapolis he, or Minnesota. He would literally just graduated And he spent his entire day cleaning his city. And he's like, I mean, there's like goop, there's like garbage. And he's like throwing us all into garbage bags and dragging it across. And right next to him is this massive restaurant with a wall that's barely standing. And the construction workers on the other side are saying, this is going to fall down. And this kid's working right underneath it. If that starts to fall, it's going to hit him most likely if he doesn't get out of the way. And I'm like, do you value, you know you know, per, I personally am like, do I value my life enough that I would like want to get out of there or am I like that selfless or I want to go clean up my city? Doesn't matter that there's a wall right here that could fall on me and I just don't care, right? And and I want, because I want to be there. That one really stuck out to me because I, sometimes I feel like our generation, mind especially, kind of gets a bad rap for, you know, maybe the, the, some people don't think we're the hardest workers or some people don't think that you know, we care all that much and we're kind of selfish i've heard that term a lot and this kid wasn't at all and i think that that was that kind of really like pinged me a little bit more of, of how how valuable this is and how you know everybody matters there it doesn't matter who you know if you're 60 or if you're 15 or if you're seven like a oh, kid up there's cleaning he's seven years old they're all there to help and that's what really like stuck out to me
0: you know you mentioned that about how and wait, I'm not that much older than you, Isaac, but I don't know if we're technically in the same generation or not, because I'm 33, and you would be 23, 22? Yeah, I'm 22, almost 23. Okay, so I don't know. I for- always forget the line that uh, delineates millennials, which I am, and then Gen Z, is that yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, we're Zoomers. Is You're Zoomers, I, I, okay. <laughs> I actually had a, I had a student call me a boomer in class this year, which I was totally offended by, but uh, you mentioned that, though, about how your generation will sometimes get pegged as selfish. And then you see this example of a kid cleaning it up. And to me, that just sort of summarizes um, the tricky thing about coverage um, across the news media with these protests is that people consuming it are naturally going to come to these conclusions without a lot of nuance necessarily or without considering the gray areas. So have you found yourself any sort of... um, I don't want to say cliches or stereotypes that you might have had in your mind about the way that a protest may go. Have you seen anything that has maybe challenged preconceptions, um, if you had any, about what a protest would look like? Because, I mean, if you're anything like me growing up in Champaign-Urbana, I felt in a bubble somewhat. And I wouldn't know necessarily how to react when put into a position like that.
1: I'm totally with you. I'm born and raised in Muhammad, right? Like, hmm. I, it's very much of a bubble, even maybe a smaller bubble than Champaign-Urbana. And, you know, I, the first real, like, maybe riot I saw was on campus uh, my freshman year of Illinois. Um, I think it was during the election. Uh, when Trump got elected, there was a really big riot there. And then there was another one where there was a strike with all of the teachers striking uh, on campus, too. And I I remember that one being crazy. But, you know, as I kind of went into this one, I I felt like I knew I had seen the, the, you know, the peaceful side of things. But every time I walked up into these protests, I thought that something was going to happen where it was going to get really violent really quickly. And thankfully didn't it really till late at night is when you know when the police really started to make their push is when that started to happen so I kind of went in thinking like I need to be aware of all times because this is going to get really bad and you know these people may not be the best people here and that just wasn't right and maybe that's just kind of like my mindset on you know when when you see a protest you think okay these are people that really just want to get angry and prove their point for the most part, these people weren't that way. And that was one of the things I was trying to like combat a little bit. And I, th- I genuinely think it goes back to like that background of like growing up in Muhammad, a little town of like 7,000. You know, everybody there, like you're not going to really have, you know, much public outcry on anything. The biggest outcry you might have is if a football coach gets fired, you know what I mean? Or something like sure. that. And this, this was much, much different. And it was much bigger issues that were, you know, at the forefront of, of these
0: people's minds. What is the view of the mayor of Minneapolis and the governor of Minnesota? Because from afar, they seem to be saying, I guess, the right things, even though if I say that, and I don't even know what the right thing would be to say, you know, and they are in a somewhat not impossible position, but one that I wouldn't envy any person in leadership having to deal with. But, um, it seems like uh, judging down here, for example, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, within the span of about 72 hours, went from yeah to boo, and it's just amazing how quickly the tide can turn. So, for I think Mayor Fry and <clears throat> Governor Walt, 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 yes, yeah. Waltz. Um, yeah, what's the temperature on those two leaders up there at the moment? I,
1: I think it's a. It's kind of like the rest of our country. We're so divided, right? And so I think there's one side who you know, they could accuse, uh, especially Mayor Frey, especially, or Fry especially, of being a little bit fake tough. Like, he'd say the right things in the press conference, and, you know, this needs to stop. You need to get this in. But then there was no plan. And then I look at the other side where they go, what What type of plan do you have when you have this many people that are outnumbering the police officers five to one? Like, I, I, what type of plan are you looking for here? And the same thing with Walls. Walls has been, you know, I think the thing I appreciate about Walls is how he's he's able to say, hey, the buck stops here. I, you know, I take full responsibility for that. I don't know if we've seen that in higher levels of government quite as much with the owning it and owning when you make a mistake, but a lot of people – Fairly criticized the lack of their plan, the lack of, you know, trying to be fully prepared for something like this, or maybe the lack of understanding how big this was going to get in a hurry, and that. So I, I totally get that. So it, it feels a little bit, it feels a little bit split, honestly.
0: Yeah, um, and that's the thing you just mentioned it with the divisiveness and how it doesn't really matter what someone says; it's going to be interpreted in two different ways in all likelihood. Um, what would help facilitate the end? of these protests in Minneapolis? That's probably a loaded question, but would it be as simple as the other three cops getting arrested and charged? Because I know from at least at the moment, the other three cops have not been charged with anything.
1: Yeah, I think the arrests would really be a big deal there. I th- they've been chanting that multiple times. The whole crowd has been chanting that. Um, I think another one is they. the crowd especially did not like the third degree charge that the officer was given. They, they said that that was not an accident and a lot of people pointed at his previous records and all of the things that he had done in the past and they go, this is a, you know, you kind of see a, a, a pattern of, of police brutality or kind of right on the edge of right and wrong and more often than not, he was on the wrong end of those situations and they go, you know, a third degree um, murder charge just isn't good enough. Uh, but I also think, also think you just need to have some time here. I don't think that just having it happen you know, and, and and just having, you know, these guys get arrested is going to make everybody feel so much better, because it's so much pent up rage, so much pent up aggression. So I think you kind of have to let the time play out and let them protest. It has gotten significantly less as the days have gone on here in the last day three and day four, the amount of violence, the amount of, you know, arsons have gone down a little bit. Um, I just worry about, if we get a little bit, like, if the if the police officers get a little bit too fatigued from this, where it's like, okay, this is day five of this, that they're acting like this, I'm finally done, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the fatigue factor might come in, but I think, generally like, if you get the three more officers arrested and charged, you change that third third degree assault or a murder charge against the officer who, who killed George Floyd, that would go a long way, and maybe showing the crowd that this is something different, we're going to do something different this time instead of it, you know, kind of you know, the status quo that has been for the last 20, 30, 40
0: years. The, the third degree charge is interesting because from what I understand, it is it would relieve the prosecution of having to prove intent and which can be the hardest thing. And as you'd mentioned, there is a history between these two guys. But again, there'd have to be some sort of proof that he set out to do that that day in that moment. And uh, so from a legal perspective, I get it. But I also understand the anger behind it. Are there athletes in that Area. I know PJ Fleck, he had had a tweet about it as we're seeing all these coaches tweets kind of come in and kudos to John Gross coming out strong last night. I I was really impressed with that. But what about athletes in the Twin Cities areas? Have they um, been vocal throughout this?
1: They have Uh, Rashad Bateman is the best wide receiver for Minnesota last year, one of the best wide receivers in the Big Ten. He's been very active on social media. We've had multiple Timberwolves players be out there in the public eye. Carl Anthony Towns was out there next to Steven Jackson the other day. Josh Koji was over there the other day. Um, the, The Vikings players have been very active. Kirk Cousins has made multiple statements. Adam Thielen's made statements. Kyle Rudolph has done a lot for this community. His words matter a lot. They've had multiple players joining the rally yesterday. That was right in front of the Minnesota Stadium yesterday. So the response has been pretty good. And, and, you know, I, I I relate that to Illinois. And, and yet, you know, yesterday I'm texting with, you know, Jeremy Warner and, you know, those whole guys. I'm like, where's our, where's Lovey's, like, statement from this? Because right, I feel right. like it would really go a long way. And so it's like, I'm interested. I, I get that this is the weekend where it's like, all right, everybody has to make a statement, right? Like, that feels like the weekend. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would be really interested to see what Lovey has to say about this and, and see what his reaction would be because I think that, his history and his voice would go a really, really long way at a time like
0: this. It would, and I'm a little bit surprised we haven't got anything, but the other side of me, you know, I've made it clear that I'm pretty skeptical about the the state of the program, but I've never questioned his integrity, and especially matters of this, because he has been vocal back to the Colin Kaepernick situation, um, even though he, he did use, from what I recall... A little bit of euphemistic language, but he made it very clear. He made it very clear that this is what I'm telling my guys, and this is what I believe. I wouldn't be surprised if today something comes out. I, I get the feeling he would want to be very thoughtful with it. Um, but you know, when I think about the role of athletes in this, I, I found, Isaac, that I've had a hard time the last week differentiating politics and sports. And one example of that would be you know, Major League Baseball Players Union and the owners – you're finding that often the people that side with the owners or side with the players, it's strictly along political lines. So it's like we cannot uh, detach from it. And to be honest, I've kind of stopped trying because it is it is what it is. It's out there. And I feel like a conversation, if anything, would be a little more productive than trying to hide the political realities of all of this.
1: No, I, I totally am with you. And then I thought like the same thing with the uh, incident with Seth Towns, the Ohio State player. He just graduated from Harvard he was um, detained. Yeah, he was detained, not necessarily arrested and then let go eventually. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of fans that were like, you know, what's a a basketball player out there doing that? Like, how dare he say these things, all of these things? He's a representative of our university. And then there's others are like, this is, you know, this is our poster child. Right. And it's it's sad. I just I just I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever call myself a super political person. I just haven't ever really been that way, but you know, you kind of see some of the things that are happening in our world, and it's just like it's hard to avoid it. Yeah. And it's hard to, it's hard to just blow it off and go, oh, I'm just going to worry about baseball. I'm just going to go worry about <laughs> yeah. Illinois football recruiting as much as I wish I could. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's tough because it's it's real world. It's right in their face all the time.
0: So. Yeah. On a normal night when I would have seen Joel Sherman's tweet last night about the players have, having a counterproposal, I know Austin had tweeted about it saying, all right, not now, guys. This is not the time. And I thought the same thing. Normal times, I'd be ecstatic. Like, hey, maybe they're progressing. Um, last question I have for you is, I've also been reflecting on The media, And I use quotation marks because it's often thought of as this sort of monolithic entity. And we're all in it together or, you know, we have some sort of grand plan. And on Thursday, I'm going to have John Paul, which I'm not sure if he was still a professor at the U of I uh, when you were in the College of Media, and uh, talk with him about it. But from your perspective, practicing media and journalism right now, uh, what would you say if someone uh, used that sort of blanket term? you know, the media, the mainstream media, what are some more on the ground experiences that you would tell them about that say, listen, this is what my job is and this is what I um, hope to accomplish?
1: Yeah. I think that that statement gets thrown out by, you know, politicians, by everybody. And it just like, I feel like it's easy just to grab it and throw it and hope it sticks against the wall. And more often than not, it it does. It has been. Yeah. Yeah. But like on the other side of it, like, you know, like I, I even saw it with like the, the coronavirus stuff like all these people attacking sports journalists thinking that it was the right thing, you know that we were behind this trying to get sports canceled I'm like <laughs> what what are you talking about like this is you know i probably like sports more than you do you know what i mean like to the, the person who's saying this like i'm the one my life revolves around this like why would i that doesn't make any logical sense and the same thing here like I, I don't see an agenda. I, I didn't go into you know Minneapolis on, on Saturday with an agenda. I wasn't you know writing my story to fit a narrative that I had set out. I just wrote what I saw. And I think a lot more people are doing that. Now, there's some bad apples out there. There's some people in the media who totally take their role and, and blow it up. And sometimes that's for clicks. Sometimes it's for ad revenue. Sometimes it's just to get more people to come to your site so if you have an opinion that you might not even believe in. But for the most part, a lot of us are just out there trying to tell us what's happening. And I think during this time, like we were seeing a little bit of the value of the media. And if you don't see it, then I can't really help you. You know what I mean? Because there's people in Minneapolis who were, they were f- like not getting updates from the city on the fires, on the looting. They were getting those from Twitter, from the journalists who were on the ground saying, hey, look out for this area because there's people here. And I think that at our core, you know, at our core, we're trying to tell stories, whether that's about sports, whether that's about news, whether that's about coronavirus, whether that's about, you know, this George, the George Floyd protests and we're trying to tell you what happened. And I think that to just throw out this blanket statement that the media has this narrative that they're trying to fit every single story to is just kind of lazy a little bit. And if you think that, then you're not reading everything because, you know, I just don't know if you could read the story I wrote from Saturday and go, yeah, he has a narrative. Right. But that didn't. It was telling you what you saw, what I saw and what the people said. And I think that's, that's kind of where I, I go on that. And I, I'm interested to see what John Paul says. I really like him. He's one of my favorite professors at the U of I, and he, he was a big part of my career there for a couple of years.
0: Yeah. He's a, a cool guy. And to me sort of embodies the, uh, even keeled clear eyed, um, journalistic perspective that I think people sometimes forget. Yeah, that's, A guy like John Paul, that's kind of like your journalist, journalist right there. You know, that's what um, you find more of in a newsroom than the agenda driven sort of uh, figures. It is a good thing to know, though, that, uh, yeah, the media is not some sort of conspiratorial thing. So (laughs) it does seem like that gets thrown around. But with uh, you and other people on the ground doing what you're doing, I know you didn't sign up for news coverage per se, that, you know, like you said, sports is. Kind of your lifeblood—that's what you're passionate about. But uh, you're living through history, but not only that, you're recording it. So stay safe. Um, I, I'd say enjoy it, but enjoyment's not the right word. I would—it's it, history, though. So you certainly probably recognize that you are probably never going to have another opportunity quite like this. Yeah,
1: I hope I don't have another opportunity <laughs> quite like this. That's for sure. But uh, thank you, I appreciate it. Um, I just hope—I just hope that you know. I, I don't know if life will ever be normal again. I just hope that. We can avoid any major killings or, or spree here. I think that it's been remarkable that a lot of people haven't died. Only a few have died up here. If that can stay the case for the next few days, I think we could look back on this in a maybe a little bit more positive light. That hey, you know, you know, change happened. We had a lot of people come out here and, t- and say peaceably what they wanted. And the loss of human life didn't happen in mass form. And I think that's the most important thing.
0: I hope so. Isaac, uh, take care and maybe we can talk soon and uh, we will be sure to follow. It's Isaac underscore Trotter PB and that's on Twitter and uh, the website for your newspaper. What's the domain for that?
1: Yeah, just postbulletin.com.
0: Okay, excellent. We'll be following. Isaac, take care, okay? Thanks so much for having me on. See you. Excellent stuff from Isaac Trotter on Twitter at Isaac underscore Trotter PB for the Post Bulletin in Rochester and I'm hoping... As much as I enjoy talking to Isaac, right, I'm hoping we don't need to do every two-week dispatches from Minneapolis-St. Paul area about the protests going on. I hope that there is some resolution to it. But that's not to say that it should just end without some sort of change or action. I know that he mentioned that the other three officers have yet to be charged. And that is certainly a sticking point, I think, for a lot of the protests up there, that there should be charges brought against them. The third-degree charge against the cop who killed... Um, George Floyd, that is tricky in terms of legalities. It makes sense because they won't have to prove intent. But that does not mean that he would get life in prison if convicted. I think the most is 25 years, and that's the max. So there are so many layers that have yet to be pulled back in this. And it does feel like this week we're entering may be a long week when we see it in our own backyard here in Champaign-Urbana. I just hope everyone stays safe. I know that sounds very kind of pollyanna peace on earth, let's hold hands and share a Coke. I I get that that might be kind of lame to say something like this in this time, but truly I just hope everyone stays safe. The message can get out. There can be powerful change, but hopefully not at the expense of human life or more human life, I should say. We've already had enough of that. So let's have some levity. All right, we're 40 minutes in this podcast. You made it. If If you listen to this, I hope you at least listen to Isaac. We got Trevor and Harry... And we got into some conversations about Illinois football, which with student-athletes coming back on Wednesday, at least some of them, a staggered return from the 3rd through the 8th, football season is upon us. It seems like it's all systems go. We're going to have games in late August, September, November, October, November. Fine. You know, hey, from a sports fan's perspective, I'm totally on board with it. I'm ready to watch some football, even with some concerns about, you know, remember the pandemic? That's old news. But we did have some fun with this about, one, the schedule, which Bob Osmuson wrote an article saying that Illinois will start 6-0. He said, we'll start 6-0. and Now, in fairness, we find that this is actually an achievable thing for this team, Harry, Trevor, and I. We find that, yeah, they could do that. Are they? I don't know. We have some fun with an article that he had written about non-conference opponents, what he'd like to see, and also a quick conversation about stadiums in the Big Ten at the start of it. So it was one of those things that... If we were to have had a radio show during the offseason, these are the kinds of topics we'd have to talk about because there weren't football games being played yet. In the middle of a pandemic, all you can do is speculate and talk about more macro sports topics. So that's what we did. Have fun with it, with Trevor, Harry, and myself talking alone-eye football, a little bit of movie talk at the end. Um, for the time being, yes, we are done talking about the protest. You made it. And I'm going to try my damnedest to bring you sports. And hopefully by Thursday... We might have a baseball season to talk about. Oh, my God. J- June 30th. That's the date that the players are circling in their proposal. I'll take it. Oh, my God. Please give me baseball and championship number 28 for the Yankees. All right. On that note, Trevor Valise, Harry Black, talking alumni football. It is the 200 level. It is Monday. There are no new Last Dance documentary episodes to talk about. So, to be honest, Harry, Trevor, and I don't know what to talk about. No live sports. Harry, Trevor, any ideas? Um,
2: I I I buy watermelon whole now, and then I cut it up, and then I eat it. And is that really economically that sound? Okay. Oh, dude, dude! A full watermelon costs four dollars, and that's you know, do you, I mean, that's how. I'm, oh yeah, but then. Uh, because, it, it, but if you buy it by one of those little packages that sells it like cut up, that's like three dollars, and that's maybe an eighth of a watermelon.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Well, if you think about it, you're you're paying for the labor of cutting up the watermelon, right? That's why it's at such yeah. a inflated rate. Well, yeah, that's. But
2: I get I got a kick out of doing it, or not a kick, but I enjoy doing it because it makes me feel like I'm doing something chefy when really I'm just cutting up fruit.
0: And we'll get into more fruit discussion later if we want to. But I got to say, yeah. watermelon <laughs> of out of all the melons. Actually, I don't know if I like melon, watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew. I don't know if I like any of them that much. Honeydew
2: is the money melon. That's what Krusty says. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Melon. I mean, what other melons are there? I mean, I think watermelon,
0: cantaloupe, honeydew. I don't know if there are any other melons or not. Is there just melon?
2: I I don't know. I, I know there are weird classifications that you can get into. Like I know a banana is a berry. Um, mm-hmm. but a strawberry oh, isn't, no, it is. I'm, I'm not even, you think I would make that up? What benefit no, can I, I get from making that up? <laughs> banana- you're not making it up a it's banana berry.
0: Well, I'll look yeah. that up. In the meantime, there is, There's uh, melancholy. Yes. Ah,
3: yeah. Uh, All right, uh, failed joke, and uh, we're underway. No, no, that
0: was fine. No, you know what, I, I, when you say it. melancholy, it. it reminds me of, because we did a Smashing Pumpkins for the great cover-up, and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness is their big album. Well, their biggest, sure. they had a couple big ones, but uh, there are a few sports things we can talk about, and I... I got to be honest, as we venture into this topic, I mean, listen, the student-athletes, Harry, are going to be back on campus on Wednesday, and namely the football and the men's basketball players, and what that tells me is we are going to have a season. Fans or not, we're going to have a season. We'll get into the fans and the stands discussion in a bit, but there was an article, I believe, this weekend, Trevor, from Bob Osmussen, and full disclosure, Bob and I, again, we had a very cordial conversation on Twitter, but he has a new take on the beginning of next year's season. What is it, Trevor?
3: Our fearless leader. This week he has predicted that Illinois is going to start 6-0 and mm-hmm. this football season. Now- this comes a week after he said that they could contend for the Big Ten West, two right. weeks after he said that they should schedule Alabama, LSU, and Clemson in the same season, Sure. and three weeks after he said that Brandon Peters would win the Heisman.
0: Can we start with the Clemson? What were the three teams you said? Alabama
2: Clemson LSU Alabama right has anyone ever played those three
0: because I'm <laughs> no. thinking
2: LS I mean maybe a player like like a player on the defense for LSU or offense for LSU would have then played Alabama Clemson and LSU in practice aside from that I can't think of another instance where that would be the case it would be fun though you know what it reminds me of. It by 50
0: points it reminded reminded give me, me 30 seconds, I'll pull up the article. Yeah, please do. It reminded me, actually, of back in the day with the last NCAA football game that I played with any regularity was 2007 on PS2, and that had the Rose Bowl team. So it was a pretty good Illinois team, and even the ratings going into that year coming off a of 2-1 season, they gave Juice a really good rating, Aurelius Ben, uh, Vontae Davis. Rashard Mendenhall was a stud in that game. But you started a dynasty, and because you can, I would schedule Notre Dame, Alabama, Miami, or something like that as my non-conference. And I win every one because, you know, that's just what you do on that game. So when I heard that, Trevor, I thought that is what I thought was cool when I was 20. Like, I I might have written a fun (laughs) blog post about something like that. But uh, have you pulled it up, Trevor? Because I'm interested in the details Uh, about this.
3: Here are my my suggestions for future Illini opponents. This is from Bob. Uh, Let's see. My favorite stadiums include, okay, that doesn't matter. The Big Ten is blessed with one of the best stadiums in the country at 1402 South 1st Street at Pandering. Illinois doesn't have any, blah, blah. blah. Okay. Hey, I will uh, say this,
0: though, real quick, Trevor. I do agree that Memorial Stadium, as a stadium, is terrific.
2: Yeah. I guess it's beautiful,
0: it is. Uh, aesthetically beautiful.
2: I don't, I don't have much, I don't have much, I guess, opinion on that because, I mean, as much as I spent time inside the stadium, usually it was on the field. I haven't, there's parts of the stadium, like up in the colonnades or up where the fans converse, I've, I've never been to. Um, so, I, I, but as far, I mean, is he talking about just how it looks or how it functions? I guess I have no idea. Well, I'll say like this lines
0: Here, and stuff. Here's the argument for why it is a great stadium. Again, aesthetically, it's beautiful from the outside. I mean, it, it is a gorgeous building. The history with it, when it is full, which I know is rare when it is full, it can be very loud. And I think back in the day before the renovation that put the large press box and the colonnades club, there were more seats between the end zones at Memorial stadium than any other stadium in the country.
2: And that's just the way it's
0: set up everything. So, you know, you got the upper deck and the main stands and it's all along the sidelines, but yeah, I could see an argument being made that if it were full and if we had a winning program, it is an underrated gem of a stadium. Okay. I
2: mean, you've, Even in that regard, though, which uh, which stadiums in the Big Ten would you put it above? Because I'm looking right here, and these are just my opinions. And I mean, I'm going to have a hard time maybe putting anything on the stadiums that I've not been to. But I wouldn't put it obviously above Michigan, uh, Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State. I put it above Michigan State.
0: I put it above Michigan State.
2: Well, I haven't been to Michigan State, so that one might just be, you know, I'm looking at that team as a team, but okay, that's fair enough. Uh, I put it above Rutgers. The, mm-hmm. I mean, it, that stadium's nothing special. Haven't been to Iowa, haven't been to Minnesota. Iowa's I was uh, great. I put it above Northwestern. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, there's no way I'm putting it above Nebraska or Wisconsin. Uh, Camp Randall might be the coolest stadium I went to. It was that fun. Place is, that place is rocking. Uh, the setup, because it's right next to a, uh, to a church, right? Like one of the walls to the stadium is a, because like what is Camp Randall named after? I don't know actually. It's right next to a. It's right next to a building. I thought it was a church. Uh, And I I haven't been to Purdue. Um, and that one I bet. You know I I bet you could make it's nothing special. How about Indiana? I feel like that one might be okay. It's it's. I think it's a good comp.
0: It's better after renovations, but before that, it was a glorified high school stadium. So here's the, here are the stadiums I'm putting Memorial Stadium above. And another factor, Harry, you mentioned Camp Randall being... I think it is next to a church, if I can recall. It was a little bit fuzzy because we had a pretty good morning before we went into that game. But it is... Location, location, location for Memorial Stadium. Meaning, at Wisconsin, we had to walk a long ass way from campus, the heart of campus, to the stadium. About a 15 minute walk. Memorial Stadium. Because well, yeah,
2: it's, it's right in the middle of a, of a big city, right? Madison?
0: Yeah, and Madison is a bigger city than Champagne or by far. Yeah. But the central location and the fact that Memorial Stadium is surrounded by tailgate lots. Residence halls, apartments—it's right smack in the middle of it. So, again, if we had a winning program, I think it would get more recognition. Uh, but I would say it is better than Purdue, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Northwestern for sure, and Northwestern. So that would put it right about ninth, seventh, eighth. Yeah, ninth. Yeah. Yeah, I could so see like it somewhere in there. Middle of the pack. I'd say middle of the pack. Yeah.
3: Well, anyways, okay, Bob that's... says that there are a few better than the stadium located at 1402 South First Street in Champaign. Uh, okay, so Anywho. he has listed. Here are ten teams that I want to see Illinois play at some point in the future. Okay, okay. Now to give him credit, number one, Notre Dame makes sense. That would be says, uh, that would be cool. There is history there, albeit long, long ago. The teams have played twelve times, and the Irish are twelve and zero. Okay,
0: wow. Uh, the last uh. meeting so, was in
3: 1968.
2: Here's my question. Are these ones that he's, I'm guessing this doesn't really matter, but are these ones that he said Illinois should schedule or he'd just like to see, like say we play Notre Dame in the pinstripe bowl or something?
3: No, he wants Illinois to schedule these as home games as non-conference opponents in future okay. seasons. Yeah.
2: Okay. Because he
3: says, in future seasons, Illinois has home games against Virginia, Wyoming, Kansas, Duke, and Missouri. Teams, you can, more opponents Teams you can like beat. Teams you can beat. That's see. the key except now Virginia is good. And I'm sure Kansas will be good <laughs> under Les Miles by the time you play them. Anyways. So Notre Dame is number one. Number two is LSU. He says, call former Illini assistant Greg McMahon. Now on the Tigers' staff, the Rantoul native would be thrilled to bring his team to champagne.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if we want, if we want um, the national champions coming to yeah. Illinois, although yeah. to be fair, to be fair,
0: the last nope. time we played them we only <laughs> lost by two touchdowns. I do like that No. Uh the the thing is, you know what it reminds me of was back in the eighties when Illinois was at their best. Or, you know, coming off the Rose Bowl, I think it was a year a season or two after that, they played Nebraska at home. When Nebraska was still obviously in the Big Twelve and or the Big Eight, I guess it would have mm-hmm. been then, and got absolutely gobsmacked. Waffle stomped. Lambasted, lambasted, or lambasted, whichever. And that that was when you were good and you had talent. So to me, it's like I I always look at Illinois football through the lens of I just I know there's a ceiling, and the ceiling is anything but a national title. The ceiling is winning the Big Ten in a down year. That's the ceiling for this program. So (laughs) let's stop talking about national title winners coming to Memorial Stadium. It would be a disaster. There's no point.
2: Go ahead, Eric. I mean, the, the the only comp I can think of that would maybe support his idea would be early '90s. You beat Colorado, but even yep. then, that was Colorado kind of coming. Well, they didn't. They were good. They were really good. But even they were then, number one like later beat,
0: that year. They won the national. They title. were number
2: one. You were their only loss, but it wasn't yeah. like you beat them after they were champions. You beat them beforehand, which kind of kind of makes it seem like okay, they kind of got everything back and flowing in the right order and then they were the national champions they were they were a good team when you beat them they were champions later that year
3: the other thing to keep in mind i think is too, in football you are penalized for a bad loss in a way that you aren't in basketball you know what i mean true like if, in, in football i don't care how good you are unless you're in the college football playoff discussion just schedule three illinois states every year now, if you're Alabama and you schedule Illinois State and Charleston Southern every year, that might actually affect you because when the committee looks at number four versus number five, that might actually be a factor. But when you're Illinois, who cares? You're just trying to get to six.
0: What other schools do we have here, Trevor?
3: Okay, so number three, <clears throat> excuse me, is Clemson. He says, Oh, look, another set of Tigers, another fan base <laughs> known for its enthusiasm. Helps to have a team competing for the national title most seasons, like Clemson has done in the recent past. Playing the South Carolina school would present logistical challenges for Illini Director of Football Operations, Tim Knox, but he can handle it.
2: Tim Knox, my dog! <laughs> I love Tim Knox. <laughs> not sure
3: what that means. All right, so the list just gets better from here, guys, because yep. number four is Alabama. Why not? Okay. Yeah. And the only line is... If you want to be the best, you have to play the best. And there's no program better in college football than the one run by Nick Saban.
2: These are some these are some Harry Black type reasonings
3: right here. <laughs> we are something- Illinois coming off like a two and ten season. They schedule Alabama and everybody in the locker room is being told, guys, if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best.
2: Harry- I will say this. I will say this. And this really? is—I mean, this isn't. No, 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 no. Listen, this isn't my <laughs> argument for doing it. Go ahead. But, but you do pretty much play one of these teams like every year when you play Ohio State or when you play Penn State. It's not like you're not. Yeah, used and how to does that playing.
0: go?
2: <laughs> Usually, pretty poorly. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Playing like in Alabama isn't much different than playing in Ohio State.
0: Yeah, that's, that's I, I hear my, you. That's my reasoning. I think that okay. there is a. Sp- there is a distinct difference, and I think Illinois found this out in the Sugar Bowl back in 2002, January 2002, that that LSU team was, I think, a top six or seven, like six or seventh in the nation with Rohan Davy a quarterback. Nick Saban had yet to win a national title there, but he was on his way. But the minute that game started, it was just apparent that, yeah, this was the best Illinois team in two decades, and yet it just couldn't pass the smell test against the athletes. And, and here's the thing with Ohio State. Yes, in the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s, you were able, when you fielded a competitive team, to compete and occasionally beat Ohio State. You were. Something changed when Urban Meyer got there. As good of a coach as Jim Trestle was, Urban Meyer recruited SEC type of athleticism to Ohio State. So, And we're seeing James Franklin do it with Penn State as well. So those are two schools that I need to remember the the last victories we had against Penn State or Ohio State, they need to stay in my memory bank because that's not going to happen for a long, long time. So, yes, back in the day, yeah. it felt different. Now it feels like that would be an apt comparison. That You're right, Harry. Right now, Ohio State is not all dissimilar from playing in Alabama. But fortunately, we only get Ohio State on the schedule once every four years or whatever.
2: That's Yeah, there you go. There you go.
3: And it feels like you've gotten them more at home than on the road, although maybe I just – Might be wiping out the horrible 70-point losses on the road. Uh, Okay, so now we hit a little bit of a reasonable stretch of of his rankings. He goes Iowa State at five. Perfect. Makes sense. Regional. uh, There's two Illini members on the Cyclone staff, blah, blah, blah. I'd be fine with that. Uh, Kentucky, he said, like Iowa State, it's an easy drive for most fans. The teams have only played twice, not since 1913. Uh, And then we hit another stretch where I just – I'm not sure – what he, was, oh boy. what he was doing here. Now, this is more so, I mean, these are probably beatable opponents, but I just, he took a trip out to the Mountain West for the last four. Um, for Air all four? Wow. The teams played in 1979 and it ended in a tie. I visited Colorado Springs last summer and had a blast, so that's Air Force's reasoning. <laughs> uh, they
2: have a
0: great <laughs> breakfast joint out there with an Eggs Benedict to die for.
2: I'll tell you what, that holland days, you can't go wrong. It's like <laughs> being on holidays. <laughs> what if they just picked oh, up the game that they in a tie in nineteen seventy-nine? Hmm.
3: Just continued it. To... <laughs> uh, Boise State. He says just for fun and to mess with the Broncos, the Illini can wear all blue on the Smurf Turf Stadium field.
2: I don't hate playing Boise State. I don't hate that. I mean, sure. they're better than you. It kinda it would kinda be like playing the, State.
0: The, um, Harry, all no, these teams Fresno are better than State. Illinois. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah,
2: for the most part. Well, Air Force isn't better than us. I would hope. Mm, right now, and they the, are. No, well, they were pretty bad last year. Were they Air Force? I thought I'm Air pretty Force pretty sure. has got
0: a good little program going. I have to look. Maybe I'm thinking their basketball program, which I think is doing pretty well. The
2: triple option.
0: Yeah. They're, okay, Okay. There
2: you go. Well, no, no. The uh, the thing I remember about Air Force, the only thing, two things I remember is um, they played Michigan pretty close a couple of years ago, but at the same time. We did a uh, a like top when Illinois was number hundred team in power or in FBS last year. One of the few ones that was below them was Air Force. Um, yeah. so Air that, Force was eleven and two
0: last year, Harry. They were eleven and two last year. Yeah, Troy wow, Calhoun well, has been their coach, and he's got a ninety eight and sixty nine record out there. No,
2: that's not that good.
0: Um, no, that's pretty good. Sixty nine losses. That's it. 69 losses, Harry. That's it. That's
2: that's nice. That's nice. Okay, okay. Fair enough. I think I was. Let, let me see what their what was their record two years ago because I remember that stat. <laughs> um, I remember the stat. I'm not gonna
0: say. No, no. no here, here, here are The records. <clears throat> here are the records, Harry. Uh, Eleven and two this year. Five and seven the two previous seasons before that. There right. You see, there you go. And then before that, ten and three, eight and six, <laughs> ten and three. So he's got a little okay. little thing going on out there, and they won he's the Cheese these- It Bowl last year. That's not
3: bad. That's tasty. Okay, well, any military vehicle, though,
2: school that gets it done is impressive to me. Agreed. To be, the last time I heard about Air Force was when they were coming off a five and seven season in a group of five schools. So that's my defense. Whatever. Let's say they're better than you. But when I'm thinking Boise State, <laughs> my comp, my comp for them would be basically you're playing. You know, you're playing what Western Michigan was when they came in because Boise State is the best team and group of five pretty much year in year out you can rely on them being ranked they're kind of like the Gonzaga of college football in that they're not in a good conference but every year you know they're going to be a good school whereas Fresno State kind of like bothers them you know that Fresno State might win that conference every year but they could beat Boise State in the conference championship and then Boise State will get the better bowl game somehow Fresno State
0: also 2-0 against Illinois
2: yeah 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 there you go okay that i'm was just fun. saying boise state i've had enough fun watching over the years that I, I don't hate that one okay
0: fair
3: i've told you guys that was my birthday present when i was like 12 right that fresno <laughs> state game
0: <laughs> Yeah, oh that's right What a my, birthday. my
3: dad said my dad said he could either buy me anything i wanted for the price of the tickets from a store or we could buy tickets to that game and we i decided that a little uh what year was that, 09 So that would have been what,
1: mm-hmm.
3: 12-year-old me, 13-year-old me was like, oh, hell yeah, tickets to the game. <laughs> and uh, 30 degrees on my birthday watching the offensive lineman catch the two-point conversion for the win.
0: Trevor, this is the um, difference between you and I in terms of age and overall cynicism. That same day that you walked into that stadium bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to watch <laughs> Illinois beat Fresno State, I spent the entire morning drinking rum and Cokes, having some chili, and making sure I was really good and liquored up before going into that 20-degree stadium, (laughs) and I actually engaged in a discussion with a couple guys at halftime in the concourse who believed that Ron Zook should get an extension, and I said, fire his ass now. It's over. And of course, we didn't. We got some coordinators, and there was Band-Aid on a gaping wound when we could have made a move earlier. Whatever. Just the the history of Illinois football. All kind of summarizing that one game. just putting it lightly. Yeah, yeah.
3: Because they got two for the offense, right? But yes, it was kind of summarized in that one game. Yeah. You had moments, but you then did. ultimately you lose to a fat Fresno State
2: offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, nothing wrong with losing to an offensive lineman.
3: Yeah. Go on, lose the next game. team. Anyways, uh, Hawaii. <laughs> is Hawaii in the Mountain West or are they like independent I think
0: so. I think it's Mountain they're,
3: they're in the Mountain West now. All that's, right. I says, mean, that's...
0: Ugh. You know how expensive says, that trip is?
3: Duh. Basketball goes there often
0: before true. turn. <laughs> well, that's the reasoning.
3: So, great and reasoning. Then we, uh, and then we wrap up the list with Appalachian State.
0: That's an—no, oh because you could lose—well, I, I guess, are they FBS now? They, moved they up. are
2: FBS now. Oh, so, really? it, I mean, yeah, they are. They're, I think they're Sunbelt, but they're another one of those teams that will get ranked, like, in the 20s where— there's really no benefit to beating them though. You know, it's, Brian, it's like, right. you, you beat them way to go. You beat Appalachian state, but if you lose to them, it's what the hell are you doing losing to Appalachian state? It'd kind of be like it. We come round and round. It's like playing Western Michigan. Um, the only team in the group of five that I would have any kind of just being okay with it would be Boise state because you see them in, in, um, New Year's Six Bulls games every couple of years. Yeah,
0: I would agree with that. And here's so, the thing. In that list, you got fine. ten names, and what would you say, Trevor? Maybe like five of them? Yeah, sure. Why not?
3: I think Bob went on two different acid trips here. The first one was definitely <laughs> LSU, Clemson, Alabama. Then he returned to normalcy with Iowa State, Kentucky, Notre Dame, and then went back on the acid for Boise State, Appalachian State, Hawaii, and Air Force. But, yeah.
0: Here's the deal.
2: I like four. Th- four of them i like iowa state kentucky boise state and notre
0: dame i agree with those four yep and i'd give a fifth one just to call it even but yeah you know listen it's not easy to talk about sports when there are no live sports to talk about i get it but you did mention trevor that timeline of articles and i again i said this on twitter and then when bob sent me a message i replied to him and said the same thing and i kind of called out the news gazette or i should say news gazette media because that includes 1400 all at once i said listen listen there are issues that you guys could be addressing. Like, you can look forward to the fact that this team has a chance to have a fairly successful year, but it does not seem, unless I'm, and I cannot claim to have read every article in the News Gazette by a long shot, but does not seem as if they are holding people in the DIA, specifically the football program, accountable for being in this position going into year five. This position being that, yeah, this season might work out, but, they still have the worst recruiting class in the Big Ten. After what is apparently just a mad rush of... I mean, here's the thing. It's like skinniest kid at fat camp argument. They got a few recruits. We feel great about it. Except for the fact that even after you got those recruits, you're still the 14th out of 14 teams in the Big Ten. So, But you don't read that in the News Gazette. And I get it. They need access, and they probably have this unspoken sort of thing as the flagship for the the university. But it's frustrating because that is still the mainstream media in town and they don't criticize essentially
3: personally carp i love it i can't wait to see what he comes up next week with i think it's going to be something along the lines of uh lovey smith could single-handedly take down the coronavirus himself uh or something along the lines of lovey smith can end racism himself you know something along the lines of that (laughs) No, no, that would be impressive (laughs) With his soft-spoken attitude. He just just comes out next week, and the headline is, Why Lovey Smith Can End the Racist Protests.
0: Well, what will happen... (laughs) I could see that. I think what is more likely is that you will see... What we should do, because there was a game, and we can't get into details about this probably, but we used to play a game at the station. You guys will remember this. Where we would be in the studio, and we would all make up a story... (laughs) That we thought a co-worker was going to tell us.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
3: We, 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 <laughs> I won, that was I awesome. Won. Let the record show that I won.
0: You did. You did. So here's my thought, is we all make a prediction right now as to what next Saturday's column will be from Bob Osmussen.
3: Okay, but like a real one, right? Like, like a, real a real one. Prediction. Like
0: what you think okay. the next, or even if it's not next weekend, the next glowing column that he writes about Illinois football, what will That's it be awesome. about? Uh, I'll give you mine. I'm
2: thinking. I'm trying okay, to think. Okay, what's yours? What's okay,
0: yours? mine is that Lovey has transformed Illinois football. He's gonna go. He's gonna go all in on this. Okay, because people have alluded to this, but he's gonna go all in and say that Lovey has turned Illinois into Kansas State East, a la okay, Bill so Snyder. Okay, he has turned Illinois into transfer you, and it sets Illinois up for long term success. That um, is so that is gonna going to be the next going pro- article.
3: Positive transfer you article.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm writing this down. <clears throat> okay. Um,
2: I'm not as, I'm not as big. I'm, I mean, I don't follow this obviously as much as you guys do. So mine's going to be more of a shot in the dirt. That, still trying that, to that might work though.
0: Right a now. shot in the dark guess may work on this.
3: <laughs> um, I want to do something along the lines of like. Illinois will have more players drafted in this upcoming NFL draft than they ever have in the history of the program combined. Um,
2: (laughs) Damn.
0: (laughs) So you're going the draft? Uh, You can go with the draft pick in general. You can say a ton of draft picks in general. have a story about that.
3: Between that and here's why they'll beat Ohio State, November 21st.
0: You know what? That's not a bad idea because I know that even Harry, I think when Illinois was in the middle of that four-game win streak. We we would talk well the three of us actually would talk about hey, they keep this thing rolling next year. You got a chance to start eight and O before Ohio State. We've done it, so I can't fall. We, did, we, no. we didn't say
2: eight and no. We didn't say eight and We said we said you can go into the Ohio State game with a similar kind of record as you did in 0-7, Which I mean, to like six and two or something. Boy, the look
3: at that six the look ahead idea was like college game day. You know, you're, right, ranked, right. you're seven and two, something like that.
0: So, which one are you hey, going man, with, Trevor? Um, are you going with draft picks or Ohio you State? Know,
3: I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to double down on the Ohio State. I'm going to go why Illinois will beat Ohio State.
0: Okay. So I can't, I, I can't <laughs> laugh at
2: stuff like that after beating Wisconsin last year. I can't.
0: Uh, I mean, well,
2: okay, I'll I, go ahead and
0: laugh. To that point, though, Harry, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, I I look at Wisconsin. What always really pissed me off about losing to them and often losing to them by a lot is that I look at Wisconsin and never athletically are they leaps and bounds better than you are, but they are bigger, they are stronger, and the program is just stronger. so strong, right? So Same thing about yeah. Michigan State, right? <laughs> yeah. To Michigan extent. State more so just
2: over the last couple of years, but you could see them kind of regressing to the mean Yeah, once uh like last year. Like last year, in all honesty – you probably should have never been down 28 to three to Michigan state that no. game. I'm not saying that you should have come back and won. I'm not even saying that if you play that game, 10 times you do win. I'm saying if you play that ten, game, 10 times, what should happen in my opinion is you go down by at most like 14 points. At some point you lose it. You lose most of them by like between seven and 14 points. Um, I think, I think, yeah. you know it's it's just weird that the aberration happened twice in one game going down by 25 points and then coming back to win that's just something that that's why that game was that much more crazy but yeah, yeah i mean i mean wisconsin i mean they're so much bigger than you they're so much stronger than you i'm not going to say that you know now that we beat them once that's going to happen every year there's a reason you were 31 point dogs but now i'm just saying you know looking forward i'm never going to say that it can't happen, obviously I don't think we're gonna beat Ohio State this year um, but any any one off kind of thing now I just kind of, I, I I can't completely dismiss if that makes sense.
0: I will literally eat a hat if they beat <laughs> Ohio state <laughs> you, I will literally Jerry, cook a hat in a fryer the
3: hats. I know I owe Harry like three hats all right well
0: i'll I'll eat my first hat literally not figuratively I'll eat a hat okay. And I know that will you, probably not do good things for the digestive system. And in no, that case,
2: probably you could probably like I could smooth move tea
0: it out if I needed to. But yeah. I will literally yeah. eat a hat if Illinois beats Ohio State this year. I think that's we a talked safe about death.
2: this on one of the unnamed
3: shows, right, Harry? Because someone texted yeah. in and asked me the best way to cook the hat and what would make <laughs> it go down the easiest.
2: <laughs> yeah, you probably would have to use it in a smoothie. You know, probably right, that's what we were. I thinking. would imagine. I would imagine first you would have to dehydrate it as much as you could uh, and then kind of pulverize it into a powder and add it to whatever smoothie you're drinking.
0: Here's what I'll do, though. I will get one of those nacho hats like Homer Simpson has and Homer loves Flanders. I'll get a nacho yep. hat and that will be my workaround. And I'll eat the nacho, nacho hat.
3: nacho, man. I mean, then you're basically <laughs> just saying you know, if Illinois beats Ohio State, you'll eat a nacho. but yeah. In the shape of a hat. Okay. I will That's wear
0: it a as a hat out. first. I know it is. That's but.
2: such a cop-out. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so Harry, your number. turn. My turn? Okay. Um, God, I've been talking about nachos and hats for the last couple minutes. I haven't really had time to put this together. I, I guess maybe something having to do with the defense. You could start somewhere realistic and then say something <laughs> to the effect of, Illinois will have a top two defense in the Big Ten this year. Oh, hell yes. mm, I can yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Okay, so
0: to recap, my storyline is hold on. Let me see if I can remember. Oh, yeah. That Lovey is turning this into Kansas State East, a la Bill <laughs> Snyder, into a transfer you with sustainable success. Trevor, yours is
3: why Illinois will beat Ohio State on Saturday, November
0: 21st. Mm-hmm. And Harry, yours is.
2: Mine is why Illinois will have a top two defense in the Big Ten this year. <laughs> okay,
0: cool. Well, we will – this is kind of a fun – what would this be called? It's not quite a bet. Is it a wager? Or do we? I mean, what, what um, would we call this?
3: Yeah, I guess it's a wager. It's like a prediction.
0: Any hats need to be eaten for if someone wins it and the other two don't? Or if some, whoever wins this, if one of us does, in fact, get it right, then what power or what thing do they mm. get?
2: Huh. Um Ah foof. I okay, well here's here's my thing. Is for yours specifically, Carp, it's gotta be in the headline. It can't be him just mentioning Kansas State or Bill Snyder as a one off somewhere through the, the article. It's gotta be the I'm,
0: bulk of the story. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because I could certainly see him saying something like that. Um I don't know. If 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 one of us gets it right I have no idea. Let's no just idea. let
3: Harry control yeah. a segment if he wins, like talk about cooking tips or something.
0: Baseball yes. trades.
3: Yes. Oof, oof, yeah. Well, let's just do yeah. that regardless.
0: <laughs> so we have also the, and back to the article that Bob had written was it yesterday that it was published, Trevor? I think it was yeah. another Saturday. Uh, well, like,
3: here's the thing about that one, though, is I don't think that is so far-fetched that it exactly. needs to be admonished to the degree that you should play LSU, Clemson, and Alabama should be.
0: So let's talk about that. It was an article that was talking about the possibility of Illinois going 6-0, and or does he say that Illinois will go 6-0? and
3: He says that his prediction is, he says the, the the headline of the article is pencil in Illinois for 6-0. and
0: Okay, and that... Opening six-game stretch. We know the first four, which is Illinois State, UConn, and what's Bowl the and other Bowling Green. Bowling Green, <laughs> all at home. And then on Even the road that, at that Rutgers. Illinois
3: State is Friday, too. Not that it matters much, but that's kind of
0: weird. Yeah, that's right. And the first game of the season, right? Friday like before Friday Labor Day. We're, yeah. Yep. Okay, so that's your opening four-game stretch. We knew that, and we've said, just like we did last year, that they had to start 3-0, and which they didn't. And that this year they need to start 4-0 which we would all agree on in that fourth game is at Rutgers. And then what are games five and six? There's
3: also a bye in between Bowling Green and Rutgers, and you only get one bye this year, so it comes early, which is strange. Hmm. So you go Illinois State, UConn, Bowling Green, you never leave Champaign, then you get a week off. Then you go at Rutgers, at Nebraska, versus Purdue.
0: At Rutgers, at Nebraska, versus Purdue.
3: So in the first six games, you have four home games and two road games.
2: Here's my thing with all that, is that you should start 4-0. I think we all agree on that.
0: You should. Uh, you should.
2: Definitely, you should. Uh, I'm not going to say you definitely will, especially after what happened last year. But you should. You should. Uh, no one will be surprised if you start 4-0 with that schedule. I wouldn't say pencil in Illinois as 6-0. and But if you ask me if they played that stretch 10 times... I would say you'd go six and zero once or twice. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't absolutely shock me if you're beating what's been an average Nebraska team and an and a average to below average Purdue team. Especially like you had mentioned this um, earlier, Trevor. If those games are played with no fans, that especially helps you against a team like Nebraska.
3: Yeah, I'd say Invisible Ink them in for six and zero. You know, you can reveal it afterwards, maybe dry erase it in. I don't know about pencil. But, yeah, at Nebraska is one of those games where I guess it's seen as a toss-up. Obviously, the factor of at Nebraska makes it less of a toss-up. But if that factor is there's no fans, then I don't know what kind of factor that is at all. It just means you're playing at Lincoln, Nebraska, which is actually also named Memorial Stadium. So there's really no difference at all other than the fact that you're in the state of Nebraska at that point.
0: Well this is what I think is interesting is if there is a team that is to benefit from no fans in the stadium and I know this is a cheap shot and I don't I'm not even intending this to be a cheap shot but it is a fact that we have seen and Harry is a player you would have seen it <laughs> And Trevor. Sorry. I'm sorry. Very distracting me there. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Sorry, sorry. Sorry, I was looking at this as a mirror and forgot it was a camera. What
0: were you looking for? Uh, Do you got a blemish? I have this little red mark right here that kind of I thought it for a second was a pimple, but then I remembered
2: I think I already had scratched it away. Oh, okay. Got it.
0: Well, anywho. uh, (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. All joking aside, though, listen. Illinois is used to playing to a relatively half full home crowd and to be able to then go on the road and not have to deal with those sort of raucous home environments in Nebraska, especially I can see how an argument can be made that there is no better time than now for this team to rattle off two maybe three road games that in normal years they would not and that for I the home, heard that before and that for the home games it doesn't matter all that much anyways because let's be real it's not been that great of an atmosphere over there. So, all things being equal, it is better to be Illinois in a season in which there are no fans in the stadiums than say a Nebraska that fuels on a ninety thousand plus sold out crowd at their Memorial Stadium. I think there is a a pretty big benefit for a team like Illinois when it comes to this.
3: Yeah, and I think I think Nebraska's obviously. I mean, it's easy to say this, but it's a swing game. I would argue almost for the whole season because say you're four and zero. I don't think you're ranked at that point because you haven't beaten no. anybody. You might be receiving a few votes. The Nebraska game is really the first, uh, I don't know what you call it, prove it game. So if you were to beat Nebraska, then, you know, suddenly some of the, I hesitate to say national attention. I'll say some of the regional attention would shift from, okay, Illinois beat a bunch of cupcakes to, oh, Illinois five 5-0, and then you got Purdue and Minnesota back-to-back home games. Minnesota's not going to be easy at all. No. I'm sure Purdue's going to be better than last year. You probably forget that both their starting quarterback and Rondale Moore were out in that game that was just rain-soaked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, Illinois did dominate that game, but they also didn't have to face Purdue's two best weapons. So I'm not yeah, saying you... those games are going to be easy, but if you're 5-0 and going into those games, I think you can carry enough momentum that it might not matter as much.
2: If you go into the Nebraska game 4-0 and – I think and this might be even weird to say because I mean we just kind of see Nebraska as a team that's more like they have more potential than Purdue. But if you're playing both of those, especially in an environment where there's no fans and it's basically playing them in almost a scrimmage like atmosphere, you a, a healthy Purdue versus a healthy Nebraska, I mean, you you mentioned it, Trevor, they had a guy in Rondale Moore two years ago who was getting Heisman buzz. That guy is a freak of nature you you had no answer for two years ago, and you were lucky enough not having to play him last year. So if you're going into that two-game stretch, I think you if you get out of that one-and-one and, one, and then you're five-and-one moving forward after that, I think you're feeling pretty good. And I think it's more realistic, at least for, for me, and this is only if both of these games are played without fans on a neutral kind of playing field, I think you have a better chance against Nebraska than you do against Purdue. Now, if you play Purdue at hmm. home versus Nebraska in Nebraska, that's where it changes a little bit. But that, at least for me, a healthy Purdue, I think, scares me maybe a little bit more than Nebraska.
0: Trevor, uh, here's a question. Because I, I think Illinois will go four and two in the opening six. I think they win the first three, and I think that they get the win at Rutgers. But I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky because I'm saying four and two because I think there's a slip up game. So they very well may get Rutgers but then lose a game at home against Purdue that they have no business losing. So let's say four I can and two. Totally see that. And then what path is there? And this is where it gets frustrating, right? I, I was about to ask you for the path to two more wins in the last six that would get them to bull eligibility. But then I well, realized this is that, the
3: problem though. Yeah. Is here's your last six. Minnesota, who almost basically won the Big Ten West last year and punked you at Wisconsin. I don't even need to yeah. say anything, but there's also the added revenge factor of that because you basically Ooh, yeah. ended their season. At you that kept point them out of. Year.
0: You kept them out of the playoff, potentially.
3: Versus Iowa. Now that's an interesting one, and in, just in the sense that you automatically wince at that, but they lose Nate Stanley. They don't really have a quarterback. They don't know who their quarterback is. They lose Epinesa. You played them close on the road last year, so I can see that being a little bit of an interesting game, but still, I hope. it's Iowa. So you go Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. At Indiana. Tough. That's what that, again, that's one of those where, like, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, at Indiana. They won nine games last year. Yeah. And they return everybody. I, I don't think you're going to win at Indiana.
0: Tom Allen's you a pretty good coach.
3: To, and you come home to play Ohio State. Yeah. Enough said. Then you go at Northwestern, who love you as and 4 against. So that's the problem with the back half of the schedule, Carp, to your point, is after Purdue, I mean – Find me two wins in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio State, Northwestern.
0: And this is what makes it all the more essential they get off to a good start because even if they go, four, I, I'm saying four and two to start because again, I, I see a slip up in there. So let's say four and two. And sure, they can win two of their last six games, but I think we would all agree that six and six is not getting it done. Like I mean, it, this is the kind of year because of the lack of talent that is on the back end of this roster for 2021 and 2022. The only hope for Lovey sustaining this thing is having a big year and finally, finally recruiting catches fire, or I should say, becomes respectable. And that is the only way that I could see Lovey getting yeah. this thing for another three, four years and having any modicum of success after this roster is out of here.
2: Well, we, we've we been talking about it and we kind of hit on it a little bit at the end of last season and during that four game stretch that this year coming up is the one that we've been circling for a while. Last year, before the season started, we were saying um, four and eight likely, five and seven acceptable, six and six we're happy with moving forward. This year, I feel like six and six is the base or not the basement, should be the uh, the floor, should be. The, the bare minimum of what you can accept because you're looking at it and saying, logically, logically, this is a team that should be better than it was last year because you're bringing back basically everyone and they're a year older. So, and then, you know, and pair that with the start of the season being, I mean, you thought last year was should have been a favorable start to the season. This one's even more so. So if you're looking at this season, I don't think it's unfair to say you should start, No, no, not not, not should you need to finish with at least six wins if you want this season to be seen as acceptable. And if ever there was a year to have your what Minnesota had last year in competing in any kind of uh in any kind of regard, because don't forget Minnesota had a good year last year, they also had a very favorable start to that season. So if you're ever going to have a season kind of like they
0: had, it's going to be. This one coming up for you. They like, had some close you know, wins. Like they had some close wins early against some scrub teams, too. And then they, they figured did. it out. They figured it out.
2: Yeah. They, 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 I think they it's did. a they fair... Have... Uh, go ahead. No, no. I was... you, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, think I think it's a fair comp. By the way, I, I, I love
3: Zoom, but I hate how that constantly happens. And I'm not just it's talking tough. about you guys all over, right? Because there's like a three-second lag. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we just kind of freeform it, so it's like whatever... And then suddenly all three of us are talking at once. Anyways, um, oh, I think it's fair to say Illinois could be Minnesota of last year this year in all areas except one. I think Brandon Peters could be Tanner Morgan because I don't think Tanner Morgan's that great. What is he, like the seventh best quarterback in the Big Ten? That's not asking too much. I think the weapons he's throwing to, what did he have, Bateman? And who was the other guy? Johnson?
0: Well, I, I don't thought they Minnesota
2: had pretty good receivers last year, didn't they? But
3: then right. again, you should right.
2: you should so, have um, decent receivers and good tight ends.
3: Well, I'm saying like the combination of Bebe, Ricky Smalling, and Luke Ford should be able to at least be a competent Bateman, right?
2: I mean, don't even don't you're throwing out Daniel Barker, who's had more proven than Luke
3: Ford. Yeah, yep. And then their, their running backs weren't great, but they had a steady crop of them. Their defense was not awesome, but it caused turnovers. My whole point is going. the. the <laughs> The one area that's different is P.J. Fleck and Lovey Smith.
2: Yeah, and Mike I mean, and, this, and, and if you were to tell me a couple of years ago, obviously I think we'd all be in this boat, that P.J. Fleck is the guy you want over Lovey Smith. Boat. We'd all roll our eyes. But, I mean, light, I mean, you just got to look at it. P.J. Fleck is made for college football, and he has been getting that program up and going. And, uh, no, I think you're right, Trevor. I think in this situation it's, a, it's something where you look at it and say, I mean – P.J. Fleck is the kind of the guy that you want at the helm um, if you want one of those kind of quote unquote like magical run seasons that Minnesota had last year.
0: Harry, to that point, P.J. Fleck is sort of like if a, a TV show or a movie about a college football team, he would be the cliche head coach character that would drive me crazy because it's just like manufactured in a lab. He is the most coachy coach, and yet it works because you got to keep in mind you're talking to 17, 18 year old kids, and this sort of Adderall-fueled energy works for them. They like that. They like all the idiosyncrasies. And um, to his credit, you know, he has turned Minnesota into, you know, what the hottest program in the Big Ten West, which it sounds kind of silly. But if you think about the mix of recruiting and on-field success, it's remarkable what he's done in a short amount of time. And I think that is a factor that we are underrating because the jury is still out on Lovie Smith and his staff. It just simply is. I know there was the four-game win streak, and we can't take that away because, for one, that would be unfair. And for another, there is enough talent on this team that could replicate some of what made that four-game run work in the first place. But I just think that there are far too many concerns specifically defensively. We don't know what that defensive line is going to look like. And the system itself... We saw even in games like at Iowa last year where you competed, right? You competed and you had a shot, but man, when Iowa wanted that 20-yard deep slot right in the middle of the field, not a problem. Time and time again. The California game was like that on steroids. It's, there, is, there are weak spots in this defense that unless you change things, opponents are just going to go crazy with it. Just like Eastern Michigan did at the beginning of the year. At Michigan will, State. Michigan State until you got a bunch of takeaways. And that's the key, Trevor, you've hit on it. And I know that we're kind of beating a dead horse at this. But I, I think that anyone that says that this is the year, you are also presuming that the turnovers are going to be at the same rate as they were last year. And I don't think that is likely. So then how well, do you either, offset that if you don't get that amount of turnovers?
3: You're either presuming that the turnovers – are going to be just as frequent or that the defense is going to take a massive step forward in terms of actual talent.
2: I think it's, and this is might be even crazy to say, because it's just with any other situation, any other coach, you would never think this is the case. You would assume or presume, I don't know the same word to me that the defense taking a step forward is more likely than turnovers. But even though turnovers are something that kind of seem like they're fleeting, this is the only coach where you would say, it's kind of something he goes for consistently, and yeah. I mean, I could I could see it. I could see it. Don't get me wrong, taking a step back, but it's not like we've had too much evidence of lobby not getting turnovers before even in his worst seasons he's gotten turnovers. but Harry
0: all it takes and as a Bears fan this is where I'm going back to that and even as a Bears fan with the last two seasons how you went from the 12 and 4 year to a 8 was it 8 and 8 or 7 to 9 I forget but
2: his last season he was 10 and 6 well
0: but I'm saying even the last two Bears teams under Ryan Pace and with that defense when he went from oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy at Denver now who's the coach that was Man. Uh, Fangio. Yeah, Fangio yeah. to uh, Pagano, and the only difference really wasn't the scheme so much as it was you just didn't get the takeaways, and I, I've seen it all too often as a Bears fan that defenses relying on the on the takeaway. They can come back the next year and still be pretty good at it, but it won't be good enough, and my fear is this. we What if last year was the year? And what I mean by that is last year was the year where everything worked out. And that your ceiling in that context was still six and six. And I mean, then it
3: was the year that everything worked out. Yeah.
0: And it still was a six or six and seven was your final record after the bowl game, which I understand the injury concerns and all that. But that also leads to another part that I know Breitweiser and I talked about. In year five, this is your roster. Every single college football team deals with injuries. And even if Illinois had a slightly higher uptick in frequency of injuries or injuries to key players, that's just the way it is. So you would hope by year five they can withstand that. But unfortunately, I don't think there's enough depth on this roster. So you're counting on health. You're counting on takeaways. Either one of those things goes away. You are not going 8-4, and probably aren't going 7-5. and And there's a reason why Vegas says 5 wins. There's a reason why Athlon and all these magazines are going to have Illinois probably 6th or 7th in the Big Ten West because they aren't buying it. And I I just caution Illinois fans to think that, all right, we've been building towards something. No, maybe last year was the peak. It might have been the peak last year.
2: It might have been, but I, the, and the thing I get back to again is that we have been looking at this year as the year that you take, you know, the next or, or this is kind of like the year what we said it should be. And and to your point, Carp about the Bears, you know how the turnovers kind of went down and that led to a four-game drop-off. That kind of I mean, that I'm I'm trying to make the point that with Lovey. It's the only coach I've seen where the case can be made that turnovers are the consistent thing. It's never been—I've never seen it be the case. It's weird. It's a weird thing. It's never been the case for any other uh, football team or coach that I've seen. But Lovey, I don't remember a time where he didn't get takeaways. And if—and if, and if you're—and t- if you're asking me to say like maybe even between, uh, will the takeaways you know stay consistent first? Can they stay healthy? I'm saying, even in that case, it's more likely you keep the takeaways than you do against, um, or, or do maybe even rather than uh, stay healthy. It's just something that it seems like it's the one thing he does consistently more so than anything else.
0: They will continue to take the ball away, but the margin of error is razor thin. So if they take the ball okay, away, yeah. so if they take the ball away a few less times, or if they get Unless three less. Unless they're actually better, right? Or, or unless yeah. they get, uh, you know, three less defensive scores than they did last year, which I think they have led the nation in defensive touchdowns, if I recall. But you know, all those crazy numbers on defense in terms of takeaways—that's right. The, what can offset it is the defense itself improving. That is a possibility that, that until I see it, I can't buy into it because I've just seen—I've yeah, seen, no, yeah. I, I've seen I, this uh, story before, and I think you look at Lovey's first few years at Illinois where. They would get those takeaways early. And Harry, you always love the early season random stats. Oh, God. The most
2: blocked <laughs> field goals of any right. team in the nation. We,
0: we're so great at that. And then you get into the yeah. meat of the Big Ten schedule and then you just <laughs> see things kind of equalize and you aren't taking the ball away as much as you used to. And then the real flaws in that defense are on full display.
2: Well, see, and that's, and that's, I mean, I agree with you completely right there in the, in the idea that, um, you know, the takeaways, if they, if, if the other aspects of your team don't improve with you, then the takeaways can be as good as they were last year, and it'll keep you at a 6-6 six and six team. And, and I, you guys know me. I think a lot of times getting a – and obviously this is going to sound silly um, if you get all these defensive touchdowns, but a lot of times I think you are more primed for success if you get three and outs as opposed to um, as opposed to an interception here or a fumble there. I mean, we saw how many – turnovers you can get in a game against Nebraska, but if you can't make them punt the ball, then you're not going to do anything. And what happened in that game at the beginning of the second half, when you did make them punt the ball, you go down the field and you take a two touchdown lead right off of that. But then for the rest of the game, the, uh, the fluky interceptions, the fluky fumbles, all they have to do is rebound, come back and say, they can't stop us. We just have to hold onto the ball. And once you're kind of aware of that, because a lot of the times turnovers do take place when the other team has a split second of maybe not paying complete and total attention to holding onto the ball, um, which is going to happen. People are, are human and people are going to maybe carry it a little bit more loosely throughout the course of a game. And Lobby Smith's defenses take advantage of that. But once they start to notice that, hold onto the ball, then it's up to your defense to actually be able to stop them. So I do agree. You need to, you need to improve defensively as far as actually stopping them, have more games like, and this is maybe a fluke because of the conditions. Have more games like Purdue. You know, stop them. You had what? Two turnovers in Purdue, which is still a good game. You had the defensive touchdown, um, which was kind of like caught at the five and walked in for five yards. So that one you can kind of take with a grain of salt. I'd say but Iowa. Still, Iowa too. Purdue and Iowa. Because you did. Well, actually, Iowa's. Yeah. I, in Iowa, you stopped them. You held them to 19 points and you didn't get any turnovers. That's That's a good defensive game.
0: Yeah, that's fair, and that shows. That's why the Iowa game was one of the more encouraging losses, and we talked about it immediately after that game was done. We came down to the basement and did a podcast about how, hey, you know, that, that feels pretty good. And I also understand that I'm certainly letting the last two games of the year influence how I feel about it. But the, the reason that those last two games against Northwestern and Cal stood out in the way that they did is that it it's sort of like if you took the the season as one long novel, you have the Beginning in the ending chapters, book ending uh, this whole story with a couple of really down notes, like really just, you know, depressing chapters in what was otherwise a very exciting novel. And I'm thinking, okay, at that point, is the four game stretch an aberration? I think it's somewhere in between. And that's why with this schedule, as favorable as it is early on, I still think that this team is ripe for a slip-up, which then would put them in a position where they need to win a game unexpectedly in the back half. I think they can do that. But it will be interesting as the season goes along, and I think that the eye test and just the general feeling about how this team looks and how they're developing will inform our decision as a fan base as to, okay, how many wins are enough to make us feel like, all right, stay status quo. Keep this thing's going because I don't think, I don't think six and six is going to be enough to convince people. But on the other hand, you have some financial realities that this athletic athletic department, like any other department, is going to have to think of before they fire a coach, even if the buyout isn't all that massive.
2: I don't think I don't think six and six gets him fired. I don't think it it does. Um, I think anything below that should. I don't know if it will. Um, But I think it should. I think six and six should be your four. Basically what you're looking at this year and you say, I think uh, this is kind of what I would want is if you took last year and you kind of plopped it here and what you changed would be win all the games you're expected to win, which last year would have been given you two more. It would have given you Eastern and Northwestern. Right. uh, Win all, you know, all the games you're expected to win and steal uh, and steal two. Say college football is any given Saturday, which everyone kind of throws that out there. On your good year, steal two wins you shouldn't win. I mean, and and that, those don't even have to be against you know Ohio number State. four Wisconsin. You don't have to beat Ohio State. Beat uh, Trevor. You said we we don't think we can beat uh, Indiana. Beat Indiana. Beat um, Northwestern. Beat Minnesota. These aren't things that yeah. like are that out of the realm of possibility and now i'm not saying i think this will happen i'm saying if you want to have a year where you go eight and four or seven and five or whatever you got to win the games you're expected to win and you do you got to win a game or two that people don't think you're going to win it doesn't have to be a monumental upset it just has to happen once or twice
3: because last year was a net neutral you're arguing basically yeah, right anyway. in terms of yes yes eastern and northwestern put you at minus two and then michigan state wisconsin puts you at plus two so you ended up zero whereas and that's the tricky thing right when you look at the schedule is i just feel myself doing literally exactly what we did last year which didn't work by going okay well look at this soft beginning and then you find two more wins in the schedule that's that's what we were doing last year and that's not what happened and you know so what? instead i almost
0: go ahead well and trevor what would alleviate that is if we had faith that they would win the games they're supposed to win And if they do that, if they simply do that, when the games are supposed to, with this schedule and as many home games as you have against winnable opponents. I mean, even in Minnesota, I'll throw that in there because it does feel like last year they played a little bit above their heads. And P.J. Fleck and all this recruiting success I don't think will manifest fully for another year or two. But, yeah, that's really it, is that if this team just starts winning the games they're supposed to, that's where you feel like you get some sustainability in terms of winning is not last year— with as crazy as it was and as fun as Wisconsin and Michigan State were, as much as we enjoyed it in the moment and hoped that that would give us a sign that this thing had stabilized, instead, by the season's end, it just felt like, well, that might have been the moment, and damn, we should have been able to capitalize on it more. So I, if you just win the games you're supposed to, and even if it's a ho-hum 7-5 campaign with five losses against teams that are just straight up better than you, that to me is a sign that, okay— you're finding your spot. You're finding your niche in this Big Ten West.
3: Yeah, and I, I think to your point, last year was sort of this—I uh, don't know what to call it—crazy ass roller coaster ride where it was like the worst of times and the best of times in the same season, right? Where you had the best comeback ever, the largest upset win ever, and then you had losing to a mediocre. Keep in mind, Eastern Michigan did not rattle off and go 11 and one and win the MAC. They went. Yeah, six they were pretty. Yeah, they're pretty so bad. It, it, you know, the the narrative coming out of that game from the ultra positive people as well. You, at least you just lost to the MAC champion. You didn't, and Northwestern was two and ten, right? Or were they the three and nine?
0: Three and nine uh, at you, you,
3: yeah, you are their so, only Big Ten win. So again, it's not like you know, it, I'm that that loss would be bad no matter what. But I suppose five percent of me against another ninety five percent would have been like. OK, if Northwestern had six wins and Eastern Michigan had 10, but they didn't. Exactly. Those were two really, really bad losses. And of course, inherently, with any biggest comeback ever, the other side of that implication is, well, you were also down by the largest margin ever to have to come back biggest ever. So, you know, there's just last year felt as I guess my point is last year felt as ambiguous and confusing as a successful quote-unquote season could have been.
0: Agreed. And that's why this year I would love for a not so roller coastery type of year where they just go out and as a team with as many veterans as they have on that roster, they win the games they're supposed to, get off to a good start, and then steal a win at Indiana or finally beat Northwestern on the road to get to that seventh, maybe eighth win. They do that... And then that's basically mission accomplished for this year. And then we would have to address the long term concerns with recruiting and the only hope I have in long term in terms of the long term success of Levy being here is that they do go like eight and four. And then they just get on this crazy streak of recruiting or they continue to strike gold with all these transfers. If that's how they gotta do it, as long as it gets the job done, I could really care less about the method, but I, I just feel like there is a shelf life to something like that. Uh, all right. Go ahead, Trevor. I'd
3: have to feel no. I just I'd have to feel like if you go eight and four, let's say you win the bowl game, I'd have to feel like I mean, even if you're just as lackadaisical and bad at recruiting as possible, a, a bowl season with six wins followed up by a bowl season with nine wins. I mean, you'd have to be trying not to be good at recruiting. I would right hope. In, right?
0: I would hope. You'd think so. And uh, on that note, we'll wrap up here so you guys can go enjoy your. I mean, it's just gorgeous outside. Is is it nice where you're at, Harry? Is it beautiful outside? Uh,
2: it is, but again, I got to work. So, oh, right, I, mean, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're in the middle of the building that I work, you can't really tell when it's night versus when it's day.
0: Oh, that's kind of sad. Well, yeah, anyway. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's uh, the work so and life. Hey, June 3rd yeah. is Wednesday. Football players, men's basketball players coming back to campus between the 3rd and the 8th. I think that's the sort of staggered return for everybody. So, what that tells me is there will be sports... There will be games come hell or high water. They're going to have a college football season this fall. And as a sports fan, I'm down. I'm down for it. Um, As uh, the ethical considerations, there's plenty to talk about. But uh, we could either talk about that now, Harry, or we can just kind of address it as it happens. I said
2: everything I needed to say last week. And you said
0: it well. I I appreciated your perspective uh, on it. (laughs)
2: Hey, luckily
3: yeah. they won't have any distractions like cams being open, right? So they exactly. can stay nice and safe.
0: Yeah, right. Which don't uh <laughs> have any, any distractions like
2: other people on campus to communicate with, you know? Yeah. So at least there's that! <laughs> yeah.
0: you, you know, I run through campus during summer vacation anyways because it's a ghost town, even though there's still a few thousand students left, but... Today, there was this pack, I say pack, like they're wolves or something. There was this pack of young college students with coolers, and they were heading somewhere. And again, I get it. It's a beautiful day. They want to probably hang out with some friends on a balcony. I'm past the outrage point with things like that, but we'll see. I I hope that for Illinois and any other school doing this, that they clearly know the risk involved, but there's just simply too many economical concerns for them to say, all right, guys, don't bother coming back and the seasons gonna be post no they they are going to get these games in and that's why they are bring the players back when they are
2: yep yeah, f- yeah yep that's 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 their point of view on it isn't it yep <laughs> uh, never gonna agree with it just you know like you guys know that ah, but, it's a double you know, standard does it doesn't, doesn't matter what I think you know I'm just you know a former student athlete in and of, <laughs> of myself but. What is that? What mean? do you know? Yeah, come on. What do I know? What do I know? I have no authority on the matter. Ugh.
0: All right. Well, Harry so, and Trevor, So ridiculous. hopefully by the time we come back next week when I talk to you guys, there will be a Major League Baseball agreement. I know Harry's chomping at the bit for some baseball talk. Hopefully uh, the NBA, because it sounds as if mid-July, I think they'll return. That is the a little more finalized. Game?
2: The date that I think Woj had announced or announced had reported was I think July thirty first.
0: Or did it move to the thirty first now? Okay, it went from the fifteenth earlier. That's,
2: yeah, the thirty first is the last date that I had seen. And actually, the MLB thing is interesting. The MLB thing is interesting simply because there's nothing to talk about, and it seems like uh, seems like the owners are trying to screw over the uh the players and and Trevor, I told you this, and Carp, I'll tell you this right now. I, <laughs> this is my hot take. I don't think the, the, the owners even care. The owners have so much money in the world that, if, like, from their point of view, I could see them all saying, I don't care if there's any baseball this year. We have plenty of money. We're going to offer you this terrible deal. And if you don't want it, that's too bad for you. You get no money. We have plenty of money.
0: I think, to your point, Harry, and this is what's going to be an, a really interesting litmus test. As these negotiations go forward, and if they stall, and if they fail, you are going to see a very stark line between pro-player and pro-owner. It's going to be political. It's going to be partisan. I will be interested to see for the independents, so to speak, if they are more pro-player or pro-owner, because we will never know for sure unless the owners release their financial records, which they are not by law required to do, but I know the union is asking for more details about their financials. But, if we were to find out the true extent of how much money they do have, Harry, I'm in, I am in total agreement with you that we would think, are you serious? That oh, you yeah. could these
2: guys are are multi-billionaires. You got to think about it this way. They, I mean, they had to be beyond rich. I mean, we think rich, we think a couple million dollars, we think living in a mansion. These guys are beyond billionaires to the point where they can't kind of exist where this is their main source of income. This is their toy. If their toy doesn't operate, they have all their other sources of income to supply them over the course of the next year.
0: They don't worry about this. Easy for me to say, Harry, but as someone who's never owned a business, okay, that's full full disclosure, never owned a business, not very good with money. But I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> owners, you're going to take a loss this year. You just are. But is that really the point? The The blowback – if there's not a season this year in the midst of all this and they decide to not put a season on simply for, oh, you know, we don't want to spend that much more money even though we're going to probably incur a bit of a loss in the budget. That's going to piss people off. Regardless of pro-owner, pro-player, that would be something akin to the 94 strike and how it took another three, four years for people to get back to a sport that right now is already third behind the NFL, obviously, and the NBA. If Major League Baseball wants to ingratiate themselves, especially with younger fans. This is just, this would be a disaster. I hope they figure it out just because I want to watch it. And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll come back next year. If they if they wait, I'll come back next year and also be watching the games. But in terms of people actually going back to the games in the first place, no, it, it'll be a while. And that's sort of like the NHL and how long it took them after, what was the strike, 98,
2: 99? No, no, there was one in 0405, and then there was a lockout a couple of years ago. But the one in 0405 canceled the Stanley Cup. And, um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, these, these, this is a situation right now where the MLB – I mean, it seems like to me – and Trevor, I told you this. The owners gave this deal proposition to the players to basically paint the players as the bad guys. To make the players say, no, we don't like this deal. And then in the public eye, make them seem like they're greedy. When really it's – I mean – I'm I'm on the player's side with this. I mean, at least from what I understand with the whole sliding scale is absolutely ridiculous. You have the best players in the league going from making 30 plus to making under 10. How does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it's not being paid what they're worth for one. And for another, it is you're asking these guys as humans to make concessions in terms of health and safety, probably not being able to see their families as much as they would, obviously, in a normal season. These are concessions that they have to make to their daily lives. Now, listen, in the grand scheme of things, with the way the economy is going, 40 million people out of work, I understand that most people don't want to hear that crap. And they want to say you're millionaires and all that. But at the end of the day, these guys, I, I've always hated the argument that entertainers and athletes, they make too much money. When I'm thinking, the revenue that they generate, this is what they are owed they are the yeah. best in the world at what they do. So could we please – I'm a teacher. I get it. Teachers should make more. I'm not just saying that. But you know what? When you're the best at the world at what you do, you're going to get paid handsomely for it. And it's it's that yeah, simple. I
2: mean, I mean it's – it. Uh, yeah, these athletes are getting paid too much. Okay, well then stop paying to go see them. You know, <laughs> they, they sell out 60,000-seat uh, stadiums because people want to see them. And this is nothing against – um, I mean, I, yeah, I think that people that do jobs like, um, like teachers and doctors and, and you know, kind of those, um, what, what would the term for that be? Public servant? Is that the term? For I, that? I get,
0: I know what you're getting at, but yeah. 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 Right.
2: So, so that, those kind of professions, yeah, I think they should make uh, more money than they do, but it, let's be real. It's not like, um, you know, 60,000 plus people are going to pay to go see a teacher, teacher class every day. Like, like these guys are able to do. Able to do on a uh, pretty much, you know, in baseball almost a daily basis. So, I mean, what are you saying then? If if they shouldn't make all this money, then where should the money go? Then you're basically saying money goes what? To the owners? The owners who are already making billions of dollars? So, no, the the idea that these players shouldn't make what they're making is ridiculous.
0: Trevor, closing thought. I think Trevor may have dipped out for a second.
2: No, 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 sorry. I was zoning out (laughs) because someone texted
3: me that, uh, Someone on the Facebook group for Shambana said there was going to be a riot downtown in, in like an hour. So I was just reading oh, that.
0: Oh crap! Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. not going to be a riot at two o'clock in the afternoon in downtown Champagne. Well, they
3: said uh, Target just closed in Champagne for the rest of the day, precautionarily.
0: I I the imagine target. I imagine the most puny Target riot in the history of Target riots. <laughs> I, there's not going to be a riot in Champagne, but I I think now Trevor, you've encouraged me to check out Spotted and Chambana, which is one Someone hell of a did Facebook. post on, on
3: there, yeah. That okay. that thing is uh, wow. That, it, it feels like for for you know every one in ten informative posts about something, there's nine in ten. Um, shout out to the guy in the green truck who flipped me off on North Mattis today at two <laughs> seventeen p.m. after I yelled at him. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of uh, Kare- there's a lot of Karens on that website. That's for sure.
2: Yes, That yes. kind of reminds me of. Um, kind of reminds me of when I was in high school. There was this. You remember? Uh, it's not as big now. It was never really big, but it was kind of more not popular because that makes it sound like it's good. Like more, it was like an infamous the uh, the Westboro Baptist Church would have these little protests, these little things where they would like show up to whatever with these signs saying like God hates. You know, yeah. Right. You know um and they still do and there was word they still do they still do it's just not as covered anymore um as it was like maybe eight or ten years ago there was this instance where outside of my high school there was word that they were going to be doing this so obviously the uh the the media trucks show up and they're all filming these i think there was like four of them Mm -hmm. there was four people over there and completely ignoring the fact that Everyone in, in my high school had heard about this. It was at like 7.30 a.m. So they figured, we'll do it before anyone's there so no one will be able to come over and kind of like, you know, take attention away from us. There was, my school's big, 4,000 kids. Wow. There Jeez. was maybe 1,500 kids in the parking lot on the other side of the street, like, you know, honking horns in their cars, holding up their own signs saying, go the F home, you know, F you. It was so cool. But yeah, the, the, the um, um, the idea of like the the tiny little puny riot—that's just kind of that's what it reminded me of—is the fact that these guys said they were going to show up and there was virtually no one there.
0: Well, the last question I wanted to ask you guys is about the uh, the social change that can be brought about by riots, and I wanted to start with Harry about how. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We we don't need to do <laughs> yeah, that today. For sure. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I that, that's what I, I like our text thread for, but I figured what I do appreciate anytime I talk to you guys. We do have the text thread things that we'll talk about there that, uh, you know, we could have we could have broached today. But, of course, with Isaac Trotter at the opening segment, he was able to provide enough context for everything going on in Minneapolis. But you, you mentioned, I think, before we hit record, Harry or Trevor, you mentioned bring some levity to it, which you guys often do. So uh, I appreciate it just as just as a pal. Thanks. The idea
3: of the curfew was certainly amusing to me. I will say that. They had the idea that these people who are willing to commit arson and robbery and, and destroy police cars are like, whoop, 758,
2: time to go home. <laughs> Better get home before the sun goes down. I mean, there, there's a curfew in place. Hey, Bob,
0: throw that last Molotov cocktail. We got to get home. Oh, they're coming right for it. Or I guess that's a Minneapolis protester. I was watching Fargo not that long ago. And I it just when you have that as your frame of reference for Minnesota slash the Dakotas, it's jarring. To see, wait, they aren't all like William H. Macy up in Minneapolis. It's actually a thriving metropolis with people that are not all like Francis McDormand or Steve Buscemi. Yeah. I'm
2: glad that they're not like William H. Macy. That guy is kind he, of like a, a terrible person in that movie. He is <laughs> he's an he awful is person despicable. in that movie. He Boy, is dumb. the most pathetic,
0: yeah. awful character. More so because Steve Buscemi is at least funny. In that movie, I mean, he's awful, but uh, he's pretty funny. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no one's good in that movie. And, and if you're McDormand, good in that movie, you're either oblivious or you get killed.
0: There are two people that are good in that movie, Harry Francis McDormand and her husband that designs the stamps.
2: Oh yeah, 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 The um, is is that the uh, the, the the police
0: officer? Yes, the yeah, pregnant okay. police officer. Was, Th- that was that movie H. was
3: see in a Jurassic Park movie. Or he was in Jurassic Park yeah, right three
0: right or two.
3: Yeah. He, Three. I feel like it he was three. kind of typecast as this bumbling idiot, is he not? Because in that movie it's the same thing where he's like Dr. Yeah, he Jones or whoever it is and he's like just yelling and they thought Stop yelling, a dinosaur's gonna see you and he's like, What?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen Boogie Nights? You've no. seen I oh <laughs> <laughs> Wooly H. That Macy in- Yeah, he's well, intense in that movie. And Trevor, if you like Goodfellas have you seen Goodfellas? Please tell me you've seen Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Boogie Nights, essentially, it uses that same rapid-fire editing. It's the fastest two-and-a-half-hour movie you'll ever see. Ensemble okay. cast. William H. Macy, talk about pathetic character. Wow. So uh, I, I recommend well, the, that. That is That uh, is that that is my uh, weekend... Movie watching recommendation. Find Boogie Nights somewhere. It is a top five movie for me. I could watch it three, four times a year. I absolutely love it. And the subject matter. I mean, we've talked off the air about some of the uh, related subject matter. Do you know what Boogie Nights is about, Trevor?
3: I have no idea, and I don't know why Harry's
2: going because <laughs> 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 the last scene in Boogie Nights is a, ooh, it's it's a big reveal. If you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah, Let Trevor. Do a quick little googly here. See, so here's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, <no.
0: Boogie laughs> on that note, Nights. Trevor, you can text us your thoughts on just the synopsis alone, and okay. watch it this week. You will not regret it. It's one of my all-time favorites. Amazing soundtrack. Um, good, good cast. Great direction. And uh I'll oh, let you figure wow. it. Yeah, right?
2: All right. Yeah, okay. Okay, check it out. Yeah, good for him. Uh, is boys, it is it uh, it's Mark Wahlberg, right?
0: It is Mark Wahlberg and yeah. William H. Macy, Julianne Moore, Burt Reynolds, Heather Graham, Don Cheadle, uh oh, John C. Riley as Mark Wahlberg's buddy, Reed Roth Reed Rothschild. It's
2: weird seeing him in movies where he's not basically the stepbrother character. Yeah. Because, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say John C. Riley's a great actor. He's good, though. I mean, he's good. I saw him in this movie a couple weeks ago, Magnolia. Oh,
0: that's the same director. What did you, uh, before we go, Harry, what do you think about that? Because I love, listen, Paul Thomas Anderson might be my favorite actor going right now. After Boogie Nights, he made Magnolia, which is long ensemble cast all of that but tom cruise out of all the out of all the actors in that movie tom cruise may be the best performance in magnolia
2: he that was a great performance by him um it's similar i, I like movies that kind of have that little vignette style like like that like pulp fiction yeah kind of um I, I liked it. Um, I really did like it. Um, John C. Riley had a really good kind of like pathetic character, but in a lovable way. Very. Speaking of William H. Macy, just as pathetic as ever. Oh, yeah, that's uh, was right. was in that movie as mm-hmm. well. Um, but I really did like it. And the ending made, obviously, I think it was supposed to not make any sense True. How, how that movie ended. But it was good. I, I'd, I'd say if, if I mean you ask me I'd say like a seven point five or an eight out of ten. It was a really good movie. It's just the ending was very uh, it, it was it was I mean I like the kind of similar to Pulp Fiction again in that there's there doesn't necessarily have to be a lot of reasoning or a straightforward plot. It's just entertaining and it's a lot of uh, a lot of good little scenes more so anything
0: else. Trevor, there's your double feature for the week: Boogie Nights and Magnolia.
2: Okay, That's I'm a taking those. All
0: right, well boys, we will talk next Sunday get it out next Monday, and hopefully we have some more sportsy things to talk about, but in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend, enjoy your week, and we will get a movie review from Trevor on Boogie Nights <laughs> and all of the uh, all of the deets. Uh, what, what would be a yes. word for it? Um, the Every 411. detail. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll, we'll get that, and I would encourage anyone over the age of 17, of course, to check that yes. movie out. Alright, guys, we'll talk next week. <laughs> See All right, so uh, a moment of levity, or I should say an hour and 15 minutes of levity, but always appreciate talking to those guys. And yeah, there's sports things to talk about even in the midst of all this stuff going on, but uh, it was a crazy weekend, and it was great to get Isaac Trotter's take on everything going on in Minneapolis from the ground being able to witness what's going on up there, because from the comfort of our homes, as jarring as the visuals can be on TV, I got to imagine that you become that much more grounded when you see it actually take place, or when you see the rubble and the destruction and the aftermath of this sort of stuff. So, you know, listen, I can't pretend to be a social commentator or anything like that, but I hope for your safety, and I hope that for this country, there is some sort of healing and reform that can take place, because right now it is broken. It is burning, and this is the equivalent of us to what 1968 would have been for my parents' generation, or maybe probably a little bit older than them, where you are living through it and you're thinking, okay, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? So hopefully that's coming up sooner rather than later, but I guess my plea to any listener, just stay safe and uh, use your voice when you feel, feel it necessary. All right, 200 Level brought to you by DP Doe. Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent, Fourth and Kirby. Those websites, dpdo.com, delivery anywhere in Champaign Urbana at dpdo.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at Trevor's Favorite Domain name, BrianisMyGuy.com. And Fourth and Kirby, coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off at fourth and Kirby.com. For Alana Inquirer and for the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. We will see you later this week. Got an interview with John Paul, former WCIA 3 news anchor for I think like 25 years. He was there for a very long time and he was a professor at the University of Illinois in the College of Media and I don't know if I actually had a class With John Paul. But I know that we interacted a few times when I was a student there and a little bit afterwards. I wanted to get him on to talk about the dreaded media, this sort of monolithic media thing that we've made up in our minds. There's more nuance to it. He's going to be able to put a much better and more nuanced voice to all these issues about news media, especially its coverage during these insane times. So excited for that conversation. And yes, sports. Always, we're still the sports podcast. In the meantime, we will see you later this week. Take care. Enjoy the summer weather and we'll see you in a few days. It is the two hundred level.